available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everyone, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout 247 network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout 247 network. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. If you want to get a hold of us, our email is pac12podcast at gmail.com. If you like the Twitters, you can tweet us at pac12podcast, our website, where you can find all our old shows, pac12podcast.com, and our voicemail line. Call in 641-715-3900, then hit extension 734-972. we got a couple voicemails today. we got a bunch of email questions, and we got a special guest, Dave. A very, very special guest. Somebody who's, uh, who's, who's, who's famous on our podcast. We've mentioned him quite a few times yeah. now. He represents about 25% of our listenership, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, though. No. Our, our listeners are actually through the roof. I was telling Kyle beforehand, we're like all-time highs. But Kyle Bonagora, you can follow him on Twitter, at Kyle, no, at Bonagora ESPN. That's correct. All right. Kyle, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Ryan. It's, uh, I just feel like I'm so privileged to be here in the studio with my favorite podcast that exists. Uh, it's just like Christmas morning for me right now. This must be a very special moment for you. This is great. Absolutely. But you're not in the studio with your favorite half of this podcast. That's true, Dave. I, I have to, I have to say that you are my favorite, favorite Twitter follow for sure. Like on Saturdays, like I'm not, I'm not really a big Twitter guy anymore. It's kind of, kind of past its time for me, but I do appreciate Dave Woods on Saturdays. Just the snark all day long. It's one of the most important parts of my day. What did I, what did I throw out at the beginning of football Saturday and you dropped a, Maybe 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 too soon for this one, something like that. I believe it was Can't a reference to like to T Martin. I forget what it specifically <laughs> oh, right, was right, about. Right. It was calling for T Martin's firing as my first tweet of Football <laughs> Saturday. Which, yes, uh, you, just, you got it started a little bit too quick. I, th- I thought you just needed to kind of ease into the day a little bit, but you know, <laughs> keep doing what works for you. Right. Uh, it was uh, in response to something they said on the uh, on the sh- on the uh, like pregame. So not even anything involved in the game, just like a quote that they were probably badly paraphrasing from the pregame. So yeah. Well, if yeah. you guys don't know, Kyle uh, covers the Pac-12 for ESPN, and uh, we do we usually mention him at least once a show. Although the last couple of shows we didn't, we've we've so we just brought him in, and uh, he's in Kyle's in studio with me uh, in in Southern California. Dave's Back east somewhere, I don't know what he's doing. Who he's, knows? Who knows? He ditched somewhere us. in the southern woods. <laughs> I tried to get Kyle to come out early, take him to to lunch, you know, with our with the whatever petty cash we have left in our account, Dave. But uh, he has a standing reservation at Mastro's, I guess, every Monday, so he couldn't join us. <laughs> Just well, makes, yeah, it, 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 the expense report works out well for that one. Ryan. <laughs> all of our revenue, all of our revenue, going to those big lunches, all the the many dollars we're making from this podcast. Cool. Well, this should be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to uh, recap all the games, do our you know what our power rankings. Well, they differ a little bit from what uh, Kyle's are. We're going to get some of his perspective on some breaking news uh, at Washington State, who uh, he, he's very familiar with. Uh, but I want to go over the Pac-12 Players of the Week real quick. 
Offensive player of the week, uh, Khalil Tate, again, uh, from Arizona. So he did, what, how many yards rushing? Like 3,000 yards rushing? I think rushing. like 1,000, yeah. <laughs> so, um, was a linebacker from Cal. Who's, how do you say his name, Kyle? Do you know? I actually didn't see who won yet. Jordan Kuzitskin, I don't know, something. But congratulations to Jordan. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> it's K-U-N-A-S-Z-Y-K. Take a shot? No? Okay. Nope. <laughs> wait, wait. Spell it again? K-U-N-A-S-Z-Y-K. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Whatever Jordan is. And uh, special teams, uh, Utah's punter, call him Mitch W. Um, he's good. Wisnowski. Wisnowski, that's an easy one. <laughs> Come on. Uh, he was, he's very good. He punted inside the USC like one inch line, like 10 times or something. So he, he wins special teams player of the week. And we have some breaking news out of Washington state. Maybe Kyle, you want to address this? Yeah, no, it was, uh, well, first of all, poor performance to start the weekend for Washington state. And then you have your athletic director, an alum of the school who's been there for, for seven years and has maintained that it will be the last job that he ever has has helped kind of oversee the resurrection of WSU football, hired Mike Leach, and he kind of out of nowhere yesterday, Sunday, uh, is announced as the new athletic director at Nebraska. No one at Washington State knew. The uh, officials in the athletic department found out via Twitter for the most part or talking with their friends. Uh, Mike Leach didn't even know. Uh, when Moose was interviewed by some reporters in Nebraska, he said that he had a text message on his phone from Leach that he still hadn't responded. At, and this was after the press conference wow. on Sunday. So really uh, kind of shocked to the system in, in Pullman, uh, you know, just you know, two days after uh, kind of a – very disappointing performance against Cal on Friday. So I'm gonna I'm gonna knock out like four of the questions we got via Twitter or via email right here. When you're handicapping right now, what are the odds Leach follows Moose to uh, Nebraska? Yeah, it's really it's kind of early to have a good sense of you know what those odds should be. I I would be surprised still. I mean, I, I would certainly allow for the possibility that, that could happen. Leach and Moose have a have a really close relationship. Um, Leach has fielded some interest from schools over the past couple of years. And part of the reason that, you know, he didn't reciprocate that interest was because he felt a sense of loyalty to Bill Moose and, um, him giving him the opportunity at Washington State after his tenure at Texas Tech ended in, uh, let's just say, you know, controversial fashion. So with Moose gone, I think there's a, a more high, you know, there's a higher probability that Leach ends up somewhere else. And whether that's Nebraska, or another school, I think it's um, premature to have kind of a a real definitive conversation about that. But um, it certainly is something that Washington State fans and administrators and everyone who follows the program is going to be worried about for the for the time being. I've got another one for you. Okay. When when do we start the Kyle Bonagora for Washington State AD campaign? Man, another alum. Another alum. Go. Another big time alum. Big time is a really. <laughs> <laughs> inaccurate way to describe that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that will never happen. I'm, I'm sure, Dave, you were probably the better candidate here to to ruffle some feathers and get things going. So I would, uh, uh, I, yeah, if I, I was I approached by the search committee, I, like you're probably the name that I'm going to nominate. So be prepared for that phone call. I would understand. The uh, it was funny. It was following Kyle's tweets when this was going down, and there was like tweeting something like, "Oh, 
uh, I talked to a staffer who found out from me that he was gone. So a spokesman for the program. <laughs> it, I see see the news break on Twitter. So you know, first reaction is to okay, let's find out from Washington State's perspective what's going on here. Talk to the spokesman, have him fill me in. And so I, you know, his name is Bill Stevens. I say, you know, hey Bill, uh, just kind of following up on the report about. Uh, Moose leaving for Nebraska, you know, I wanted to find out what the secession plan is, if there was an interim, all those normal questions that you would have. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> oh I'm like, God. oh, you don't know yet. And That's he's like, like sitcom, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to get back to you. So a, a kind of a, a whirlwind day for everyone on that campus. Uh, to find that, to, it's a really, I think I said before, a shock to the system when you have a, a guy with, you know, He's been tied to the program since the early 70s. I think he graduated from WCU in 72. Um, and to have a player, uh, you know, a, a former player, a, a person of that standing within the community, within the university to kind of get up and leave in the middle of the night um, in the middle of one of the best seasons that the football program has ever had is uh, almost unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. All right. Well, I think it's time, and I'm very excited that we have a, a third person doing this. We're going to do our Pac-12 Roundup. And we'll, uh, so previews will be later. We're going to get our picks. We're going to get Kyle's picks, too, so we'll keep track. The thing that we do on this show, if you guys don't know, we make picks like everybody else, but we actually keep track of the picks. Like, people make picks, and they just move on, and they're wrong every time, and they don't care. This was not our best week. Um, I was 3-3, three and three, and uh, Dave, you were 2-4, and four, so I, I got one on you this time, so it was nice. Um, At this rate, you might catch up with me by next season. Yeah. Hey, stop it. So uh, I am still above 528 and 29 because I got a big board here. Kyle can see it. And Dave, you're at 33 and 24. So both of us still over uh, 500. Well, at 28 and 29, you would actually be under. I'm sorry. Did I say 29 and 28? I'm looking. I'm like turning my head and looking around. So my apologies. 29, 28. I just want the clarity for our listenership. All right. I'm I'm making up ground just every second now against you. That's great. Uh, So, yeah. Last two weeks, I've beat you, so that's good. But I'm just, you know, you had such a big lead, it's like I got to chip away at it. Uh, right, but right, right. a lot of upsets, a lot of the, the underdogs won outright this week. And we, we thought some people would cover who did not. But we'll talk about all that when we get to it. So we're going to go in uh, reverse order, going through all the teams. Everyone was in play. So we're going to get to recap everybody. Uh, our number 12 team was Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> And they played number eleven, right? So why don't we play theirs? So we they played uh, oh, number eleven, man. This is so this was the battle of the bottom. We had number eleven, Colorado Buffaloes, and it really was. Um, this was a really close game on the road for Colorado. Uh, they won thirty six thirty three. But if you were just looking at the box score and just looking at the statistical profiles for each team, Oregon State should have won this game. Um, it was really weird. If you watch the first half, Oregon State had to settle for a whole bunch of field goals, like on four straight drives. They drove down the field, uh, but then could only manage a field goal. And that first half, they were dominating the game. They should have been up, uh, I mean, at least a couple of touchdowns at halftime instead of up five points. And that was really the story of, for me. Um, second half, Colorado kind of came a, a little bit to life, um, a little bit more to life offensively. Um, and Oregon State kind of kept doing the same thing it was doing, um, but they really needed to come out to a bigger lead at the first half. You have to like the way they performed, um, you know, a week after or the week of <laughs> Gary Anderson just unexpectedly departing. But 
you know, we talked about that in the pregame. That was a real possibility. You know, teams often do that when a when something crazy happens, when a coach leaves, you know, they'll, they'll suddenly play hard for the interim guy. But yeah, they should have won this game. I think if you're a Beavers fan, this is a this is a missed opportunity for that conference win. It certainly was. And uh, Corey Hall, if you saw his postgame press conference, he was like, "Times are changing," so he seems really excited. We didn't know which which way this would go. Um, obviously they, they circled the wagons and maybe it's a Gary Anderson problem. I don't know, but they were pretty excited to play this game. Ryan Nall didn't play against USC was a stud in this one, three touchdowns. Philip Lindsay, another huge game. At least they got a win this time. It would have been, been really terrible for Philip Lindsay to have two huge games in a row and lose, lose both of them. But the Beavers, right? I think you're right, Dave. They converted more third downs than the buffs. Um, I thought they outplayed them, but this was, uh, you know, Colorado. They needed this win in the conference, obviously, but um, neither of these teams, I think, look all that great. No, what's, what's Kyle's thoughts? Yes. I, the, for me, these are the two most disappointing teams in the conference, right? I, I know Dave's with me on the Colorado bandwagon coming into the year. I thought that, I mean, I thought this was a team that would be, you know, in that second tier behind USC in the South coming into the year. Yeah. And they just, the last four weeks, really, since conference play started, they haven't impressed at all. I mean, three losses to open it up. This was obviously, you know, they squeaked by with the win, but, you know, <laughs> they they got dominated for the most part, at least statistically, by the worst team in the conference. So not a great reflection of the direction of the program for them. Four wins right now. You, you know you have to imagine that they're still hoping to get to a bowl game. But you know looking up and down the schedule, they won't be favored in you know another game the rest of the way. And then Oregon State is even more disappointing. I mean this is <laughs> I, I thought for sure I was I was I was on them coming into the year too. So maybe that speaks about my credibility in predicting the future with college football. But but Oregon State I thought made made all the right um progress last year under Anderson and it, it seemed like an, another incremental step forward would have these guys six, seven, maybe even eight wins if everything broke correctly. But for them to be, you know, absolutely non-competitive for the whole season until this one needing to you know a shake up at the coaching head coaching spot to uh i guess set a fire underneath him is uh wow what a what a what a crazy year it's been yeah tons of fun tons of fun all right um so that was the so it pretty much secures oregon state going to be 12 for the rest of the year most likely unless something crazy happens and colorado's gonna have to do a lot of work to dig out of that 11 spot uh a team that was I think we had a number six last week, all the way down to number 10. UCLA Bruins. Yeah. So, so UCLA, <laughs> uh, dropped that far, uh, because they might contend with Colorado for that number 11 spot. I see that one being neck and neck down the stretch here. Uh, UCLA lost by 17 points to Arizona. And you might think, oh, maybe it was a competitive game and, you know, Arizona pulled ahead late. No. No, 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 no. Uh, Arizona <laughs> basically led by double digits from the end of the first quarter through the rest of the game because UCLA's defense is garbage. Um, the Bruins gave up. Let's just, let's get the exact number here because I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn. 457 yards on the ground. They held Khalil Tate to only 15 yards per carry after he ran for 23 yards per carry the previous week. So yeah. that was good. It's like eight uh, yards better, right, or something. That's not bad. I mean, it's an improvement, right? I mean, maybe maybe the next game he'll be held at ten yards per carry. Uh, Nick Wilson, who really hadn't done anything at all this year, and JJ Taylor, who also hadn't been great this year, both uh, averaged over four yards a carry. Um, UCLA couldn't stop Arizona at all, and Josh Rosen picked a bad game to not play perfectly. And when he doesn't play perfectly, uh, UCLA is not going to win the game. So uh, the Bruins are very bad. 
their defense is atrocious. They should be two and four, if not one and five at this point, if Bryce Bobo can catch the ball in the end zone. Uh, and yeah, I would, I would bet against the bull at this point. Bobo had a huge game against, uh, Oregon State too. So I guess he bounced back. Um, Tate threw a couple bombs too that were really pretty. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, 15 rushes, rushes, 230 yards, couple TDs. A lot of turnovers. UCLA had three of them in the first half, uh, including a pick six. That's not going to help. And three interceptions total for Rosen. But another 100-yard rusher, Dave, on the ground. A different. It wasn't even Jamamba, right? Like a different one. That's something. That's something. See, I'm yeah. looking for positives. Uh, well, the but, offense isn't even the problem. I mean, when your quarterback throws three picks and you still score 30 points, that's actually pretty decent. It's just, you know, Arizona's obviously, and we should talk about a little bit about this from the Arizona perspective. They're They're legitimately pretty good. Um, I, I think they've got a, a defense that's shown a ton of improvement over the last three weeks. And, uh, and offensively, obviously, they found something truly special in Cleo Tate because this isn't just, I mean, obviously, a lot of it is UCLA's defense being horrible. Um, but Cleo Tate's done this in back to back weeks where he's put up video game numbers. I mean, that's not an accident. He's, he's really good. 557 yards rushing in two <laughs> games. It's like, admittedly, Colorado and UCLA are not good, but still, that's impressive. Still, and if Bryce Love hadn't been doing what he's doing all year, you would say, I've never seen anything like it. But now you have two guys averaging more than a first down every time they touch the ball. And in Tate's case, you know, he's averaging a touchback every time he touches the ball almost. Yeah. How bad does that look for Rich Rod? It's not even. I'm sorry, like for Rich Rod, who didn't start him, and like, you know, Clay Hilton got a lot of crap for not playing Sam Darnold. I'm not saying the same sort of thing, but. It's kind of the same sort of thing, right? It's similar. And, and Tate was hurt, though, for a couple of the games, too. And he he was a part of the rotation in the first two games. I think he got on the field a little bit and then was out for UTEP and Utah. So he didn't really have that option. Um, and, you know, Dawkins got hurt. That's why Tate entered against Colorado. But now, like, you know, he, he saw what he had. And he's certainly entrenched as a starter. I'm actually going to head down to Tucson next week and uh, spend a little bit of time with with Tate because he's certainly one of the more interesting you know players in the country right now. I mean, the the numbers, the the stats next to his name are are baffling. Um, the ESPN QBR stat that kind of measures the complete measure and complete value of a quarterback gave him a pers- a perfect rating against Colorado. It's at a, it's a hundred point scale. He had a hundred against Colorado, ninety eight point five. Last week against UCLA, I mean, you just don't see that. I'd have to wow. go back and try to find the last time uh, someone put together a, a perfect performance and, and kind of backed it up with something almost equally as good. Hey, Dave, something for you. Um, so Arizona rushed for 457 yards, so that's the most ever Jim Morris given up. And then if you watch the post-game press conference, Morris said that his objective that week was to stop Tate from running. So I mean, so what it, it wasn't like been? it wasn't like a, like <laughs> they tried to to stop him. And what was great is they didn't do anything differently. Like it was the same stuff they were showing against Colorado and UCLA had a bye week to prepare for this and Jim Moore is taking a stronger hand with the defense. Like there were so many things that you could say, Oh, maybe UCLA will have a chance now. No, no, no. Dave, if you all. combine this year's UCLA offense with last year's defense, you have like a national title contender, but you, <laughs> yeah, you've got to, you break them over two yeah. years. Now you have two teams that are going to struggle. Well, last year's team was a disaster. This team's kind of well on its way and is going to struggle to make a bowl game. Yeah. This team, um, I mean, and with the way this one is trending with Rosen, the last four games just not being quite the perfect level he was those first two games. I mean, uh, literally, and I, I, I'm not being facetious, unless he is perfect, they don't have a chance winning a game against a competent opponent. Yeah, they can beat, and 
you know, I'm, I'm a long time Buffs fan, but they can beat Colorado at home with Rosen not playing perfectly. But that's about it. They don't have Oregon State on the schedule this year, and everyone else is better than Colorado. So, yeah. Dice. Uh, so that was our six, seven matchup from last week. So we were going to decide which <laughs> one was going to, um, we didn't really, yeah. well, we'll get to Arizona in a little bit, but we didn't, I don't think we re- rewarded Arizona for this win, but we definitely punished UCLA for the loss. Um, our, uh, number nine team. Oregon Ducks. Who boy. Um, <laughs> we were wrong was, on this one. Yeah, we were very <laughs> wrong on this one. So I think Oregon was only like a 10 point dog by the time this game got played and they lost by 42 <laughs> points to Stanford. Um, and it was 28 seven at half. It wasn't like the pile on. It was just methodical, like just a bludgeoning. Um, and David Shaw once again started Keller Christ and it didn't matter. It, whatever. Um, Oregon's defense, which had been looking a little bit better to this point, uh, looked really bad in this one, but Bryce Love has a tendency to do that. Uh, he got a little dinged up, I think, towards the end, uh, but they've got a bye week coming up, but he had 17 carries for 147 yards and two touchdowns, which is shockingly kind of a ho-hum game for him, uh, but he still averaged almost nine yards a carry. Uh, but passing the ball, this might have been one of their most effective games passing the ball. Keller Chris played pretty well, uh, 15 of 21, three touchdowns, 181 yards. And KJ Costello came in and played pretty well as well, uh, arguably better than Chris. Um, but they have two pretty good options at this point in the year. Oregon's passing passing game is so bad. Braxton Burmeister was so bad, and Taylor Alley was so bad. Uh, they had 33 total yards passing. Uh, they actually ran the ball pretty well against Stanford, but they just could not throw the ball. Um, and when you can't, when you can't score and you're Oregon, you're, I mean, th- this defense was looking better, but you're not going to hold up against Stanford's offense, which is slowly starting to roll here. When you're completing almost as many passes to the other team as you do to your own team, probably not a good sign. <laughs> Burmeister's line, he had, tw- he was three of eight for 23 yards, two interceptions. So yeah, like that's two picks. So five of his oh, passes were caught to be fair, but two by the opposition. He had 31 rushing yards. So he ran for more yards than he threw. So that's, that's not, that's not good. I'm and not Quentin sure Meeks had a case, sweet interception too. If you saw that Stanford secondary is obviously the strength of the defense, but Quentin Meeks had a really nice interception where he got a foot down, looked like a, a receiver there. Yeah. And this, um, going back to Kyle's QBR statement. So Cleo Tate had a perfect hundred last week. And then he had a perf- he had like a 98.7 this past week. Braxton Burmeister's was a three. <laughs> and Taylor Alley's was a 2.6. Oh, jeez. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, KG Costello threw out a 99.9. Keller Christ had a 95. And whoever Jay Tyler is had a 97.5 on his one throw. Dang. There was a jackrabbit running around the field. I thought that was, that was kind of fun. But otherwise, this no. game was not fun. I mean, if you're a Stanford fan, it was fun. But if you're a fan of college football, or if you're someone who picked Oregon to cover, like maybe we did, um, this game, it, it wasn't very fun. And it, you know, you feel like Shaw was like doing what he could to like pull, you know, just back off and let Oregon come back and score some garbage touchdowns. And they just couldn't do it. Like they couldn't do anything. Like it was not, you know, you felt like even with the big lead early on that, he would take his foot off the gas and let them come back, but just Oregon could do nothing. They, they had no chance of coming back. No. I think my fa- there's a lot of really good Bryce Love stats out there, but he has run for a 50-plus yard touchdown in every game this season. 
Every game. <laughs> I saw on Twitter something that like he's had whatever absurd number of fifty yard touchdowns he's had this year, like ten or twelve or whatever it is. And UCLA's had two since the beginning of twenty fifteen. That's a team. <laughs> so what you're saying is they're not very explosive? Is that the point you're trying to get across? Not 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 very explosive on the ground. Wow. Well, Bryce will have another big game. And uh, I think David Shaw said if he had to come back, he could have come back and played. Uh, he went to that secure medical tent. But um, like Dave said, they got a bye week, so they got some time. Okay, our number eight team. California Golden Bears. <laughs> okay, so Cal, Cal. All right, so Friday night, um, this was – so I just want to set the stage a little bit. Okay. Because this was the game in our preview show where I literally said the words – this is probably the game I feel most confident in, picking Washington State <laughs> covering by 14 and a half. So naturally, Cal beat Washington State on Friday 37 to 3. Not 37 to 33, not 37 to 34, 37 to 3. They beat them by 34 points. They sacked Luke Falk like seven times, forced like seven turnovers. This was absurd to watch. Um, Actually, the sack number was higher than that. It was nine sacks. Um, Cal's defense, which was starting to look a little shaky leading into this game, came back in a big way and made Luke Falk look super pedestrian. He threw five interceptions, uh, which eclipses Rosen's number from this week. Um, No touchdowns. I mean, this this had to have been his worst game. I would have to imagine it's his worst game as a Cougar, but I'm I'm not as familiar with his oeuvre. But um, this was... This was horrible, and this was the worst they've run the ball in a long time, too. Um, and Cal was fine offensively, um, but most of this was predicated on their defense. Um, and this, I mean, it's, it's a it's a statement win for Cal and and, and Justin Wilcox, um, but it also probably puts them in line for a bowl game this year now, um, where it was looking a little shaky last week. So, great win for Cal, and this was, you know, this took the place, essentially, for that FCS loss for Washington State this year. The, uh, I was at, I was at some, a group dinner at Fleming's. Uh, we're having steak and two people were watching this on their phones at the table. And I keep looking, I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, oh, they'll, they'll, and we're just like, they'll cover. I'm not even worried about losing. I'm like, they'll cover. They're, they're going to get back. They'll, they'll end up tying up. They'll cover. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And you're wondering, you know, 13 drives, seven turnovers. I mean, that's so more than half of your drives, you end up turning the ball over. There was a zero or one yard punt or something that, yeah, Nobody cool. even touched. Um, and this, this, Kyle would normally talk. Let me get him a tissue. Hold on. Cause he's, he's a little upset. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's not. There's a, maybe a little, maybe a little watering up there, but there's, is that what's happening? <laughs> I'm just kidding. This was a cruel joke that we bring Kyle in this week when, uh, his cougs were just crushing it the whole season and then they lay an egg right he, where we're he's about an to objective journalist ryan i know right? i'm just teasing he yeah a little never... bit structured a little bit differently like i get the i get the uh <laughs> you know i get the like the homer thing for usc i've gotten it for ucla i've gotten it for uh stanford in the past because i covered them for a few years now that washington state's good when you write good things about it then it now now you're a homer because you yeah. write good things about a team that is in the top 10 so it's kind of that's just kind of like what you uh this is the result of uh, the Cougs being good and me having gone to school there is that people will all of a sudden think that I'm just like live and die with their success, yes. which is like clearly not the case. It is not the case. We're just kidding. But, you know. If you, if you did, you'd be dead a long time ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Well, what did you think, Kyle? Obviously, you know, you yeah, know. I was there. I mean, I was there, and uh, first of all, it was a weird day just with all the you know the fires in Northern California and walking around Berkeley throughout throughout the day. My lungs were, uh, you know, feeling it. It was a, you know, the high school teams in the region decided not to play, which you know probably was the uh, correct decision from wow, health, okay. a safety standpoint. Um, you know, Dave, I mean, Dave covered everything that you know. I'm kind of with him on everything. Falk is as bad as you've seen him. You know, the Cougar defense was as bad as they've been all year. It's the lowest scoring game they've had since Mike Leach has been the head coach at Washington State. It's his sixth year. So, you know, everything that could go wrong in that one did go wrong. You know, he, Falk had poor reads that, you know, ended up as interceptions. He had tipped balls that ended up as interceptions. He got sacked and the, and the fumble was returned for a touchdown. That's one of those, you, know, you just got to wipe the slate clean and, and start over. And any any fun that WCU fans have had, you know, dreaming about a, an, a, an appearance in the playoff, which, you know, were certainly valid uh, going into sure. the game because, yeah. you know, they've kind of, they had earned that to this point. But, you know, after after that performance, it's more of, okay, let's regroup here and see what we can do to get back on the right track. And, um, you know, hope to be in a, in a good bowl at the end of the year. I think it's still the expectation. It's still, you know, coming into the year, they had only been, they were ranked in the AP poll preseason. It was only the third time in history that Washington wow. State appeared in the preseason poll. So it was like the expectations were almost as high as they had ever been. Right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's been a nice, you know, first half of the year for, for all my friends who are still kind of living and dying with the team. But, um, this is something, this is the type of loss that, you know, fans of the Washington State program have, uh, I've grown accustomed to, just wow. not necessarily when they're in a position like they were prior to the game. There's, there's a phrase for it. There's not a phrase for it. So that's the thing is like this: the, the whole Kuganet thing has kind of gotten out of hand. It, the it gets applied incorrectly more often than not now. And and I talked about this with Dan Weber at right, the at yeah. C game on Saturday. See, see, by definition here, Kuganet is supposed to be something where you've got the game won and then find a way to lose at the end. That's the that's what it originally okay. was, and it's how it's supposed to be defined. Right, but now right, it's like any right. any time something doesn't go their way, that's um, that's the term that people like to use. It's, that's uh, right. There was a there was a there was a call in on the solid verbal that I think nailed it, which was this was more of a Clemson thing, while Clemson more cooked it. I would, say like, I would say that's that's more accurate. I like that. That's yeah. a, uh, huh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and, you know this stuff happens in college football. Um, they are you know we forget. This is, they're all different teams from week to week. They're all 18, 19, 20, whatever year old kids with girlfriends and problems and finals and all kinds of crap going on. Some things just, you know, you, you wake up and things aren't going your way. And this was one of those days for Washington State. I mean, they had two touchdowns wiped out by penalty. You know, it's like those don't get wiped out by a penalty. And, you know, it's a, it could be a different story, but sometimes things just all go wrong. And man, it's, Maybe you want it all to go wrong in one day, you know, and the rest of your year goes okay. But just that one day, everything went wrong. It just seemed like this was that day. Early in the first half, I still thought that, okay, eventually they'll get it turned around. The week before, I actually was up in, 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 at Autzen for the Oregon game. That was, that was a tie game at the half as well. Yeah. And then they kind of just ran over Oregon in the second half and eventually the, the better team, you know, finally started playing better. Yeah. And so I kind of had the same feeling that eventually, okay, they'd figured out, we just saw this on the road the week prior. It wasn't until uh, Cal 
is it's right at the end of the second quarter. They're like on the one or two yard line, and so they had an opportunity to kick a field goal to go into halftime, but they decided to go for it. Wilcox is like, let's just go for it, and they score a touchdown. At that point, I'm like, ooh, oh boy, here we go. Because uh, at that point, I thought like, okay, now uh, now they've really got some work to do to get out of this hole. And then as soon as the second half started, it, it became very clear that this was a uh, this was not going to be the Cougars' night. Yeah. And another back-to-back road series where the second game is on a Friday, so you have short week, which we all, I think we all agree that's probably should not be allowed. Like, yeah, it shouldn't anybody. happen. Now, yeah. it, it, short weeks are going to happen. There's just too much TV money involved for, you know, not to play in the occasional Thursday and Friday night game. But to be a, to, to, to be a, in a back-to-back situation where you're playing on the road and then on the road again on a short yeah. week, I don't like that. I think that's one of those non-starters. In, in a fiery, in a fiery world, too. <laughs> I mean, like, just, exactly. Yeah, with ashes in the air. Yeah, but I'll make the same point I made about uh, USC at Washington State. If Washington State's the kind of team that's going to lose by 34 to Cal on the road, they would have lost it on a short week. They would have lost it on a long week. I mean, <laughs> they lost by 34. It's not like they lost by three. So, yeah, I mean, in in theory, yes, um, you wouldn't want to have the back-to-back roadies and have it on a short week, but... You know, they lost by 34. It also kind of gives USC a built-in excuse when you look at that loss at the end of the year. If you're comparing them to another one-loss team and you're like, listen, like we were back-to-back on the road. Um, you know, Pullman's a, a tougher place to get to as far as conference road trips go. And we still only lost by three points in a competitive game against a good team. Uh, that's a, you know, you, you won't be punished as badly for that as, you know, Cal go, or Washington State going to Cal and getting blown out by a team that had lost three straight and was, you know, becoming less and less competitive during that streak. You don't really have any, I mean, Washington State's not going to be in the playoff conversation at the end of the year. I think that's pretty clear after watching Friday's game. But even if somehow they were, it's like going to be pretty tough to uh, kind of explain this loss away just because of how lopsided the score got. Yeah. All right, so our number seven team, Arizona Wildcats. Now, Dave, do you feel we talked about their game? Yeah, we did, but do we feel weird because it was they were seven last week and they won, and we they didn't did what re- they they did they did what they're supposed to do. Okay, I thought with this would be like the battle for <laughs> beating, number six. beating UCLA by seventeen at home in a game where they <laughs> ended up uh, three point dogs. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. All right, um, yeah, we probably could have bumped them up higher, but whatever. Okay, well, the, the, part of the reason, because this team jumped them, number six. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they jumped them because this was altogether uh, more impressive and more unexpected, I think. Uh, ASU uh, beat number five Washington at home, and it wasn't like a fluky thing. They beat them 13-7, to and they shut out the Huskies for three entire quarters until... Uh, pretty late touchdown uh for jake browning and company i think they scored with maybe like four minutes left um asu was really good defensively um and kind of this this maybe spoke to some of my concerns that i've had all year about washington offensively they've put up some numbers against some bad teams but if you've actually watched them it's just not been quite the same thing as it was last year and maybe it's the loss of john ross that you know they don't have that but Dante Pettis has been pretty good. But they don't have the, maybe that that guy who can just make huge explosive plays in the passing game. But their rushing attack hasn't been great. In this game, they were 31 carries for 91 yards. Um, so that's a under a three yard average. Jake Browning wasn't great. Um, just couldn't lead him downfield. Couldn't make any throws downfield. Um, and was just pretty weak. And it wasn't like ASU ran the ball that well. But they um, got a really good performance from Manny Wilkins, and their defense was pretty much stellar across the board and uh, did more than enough against Washington to uh, beat them. And it was a 
this was this was a legitimate beating. It wasn't like Washington was just off. I thought it was ASU playing really well. Yeah, they uh, started off the game with a long drive, sixteen plays. Wilkins was eight for eight. Um, you know that was that was huge. Obviously, they they got a, a punt block that was big. Um, this long field goal that like snaked in and out went through. It was kind of crazy. Um, and what Washington would miss a field, they missed a twenty-one yard field goal, which is crazy too. So just kind of little things, little mistakes. Browning wasn't great. He got sacked five times. Uh, but I thought the Arizona defense, Arizona State defense played really well. Um, the big question for me was why didn't Washington try to run the ball more? It just seemed like they were putting Browning back there, try to force him to do things. He just didn't seem all that comfortable doing. There was, I think 21 total design runs in this one. And I thought if they ran the ball more, they would have at least been more effective, but just a really good. Oh, I mean, this is a huge one for Todd Graham. I mean, the guy that's on the hot seat, you get a win like this. Uh, it's huge. It changes how you look at the whole season too. I mean, cause they, they came to the game, what, two and three, the losses were to San Diego State and Texas Tech. Who, you know, at the time we didn't know how good they would be, but Texas Tech is actually a pretty good team. They're they're out of the rankings now, but they were, you know, they climbed all the way into the top twenty-five going into last week. San Diego State lost again too, but takes them back a, a, a notch. But again, you know, had had worked their way into the top twenty-five. And Stanford is the other team that they lost to. Those were all competitive games. Like yeah. there wasn't one. None of those games were unwinnable. If they get a few breaks here and there, maybe those go differently. And and we're talking about Arizona State in a completely different light. You know. Coming into the year, I was not sold on Arizona, the direction of Arizona State's program. I mean, I thought that Todd Graham, uh, was you know, probably the most likely coach to get fired at the end of the year. That's kind of where my head was at coming in. And, you know, getting a win against Washington, you, those, you know, those conversations stop, right? I mean, obviously there's things can change and at the <laughs> end, but for the time being, you have to look at Arizona State as, okay, what bowl are they kind of on track to, to play in? Not about, you know, will Todd Graham be back next year. So uh, you know, th- this is as significant a win as Arizona State has had since really they you know they won the division a few years ago. Yeah, and 7 and 5 is legit on the table now. Um they've got to win four more, but they get I mean their final four games are Colorado at home, at UCLA, at Oregon State and Arizona at home. All of those are winnable. Um and at Utah next week, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that might be interesting. Um but those final four games, each of those is winnable. I don't think they win all four, but each of them is winnable for this team and and to your your point they've looked just better than we were expecting i mean after san diego state we were joking not even really joking we were we were saying that there's a decent chance that they start one and seven and now it looks like they could be four and four through eight games which is really impressive yeah we looked at that schedule and the i mean it's a really brutal stretch for the sun devils but when you have your hardest game washington you win that one, now it makes the whole schedule look a little bit different. Like, well, yeah, why couldn't they beat all those other teams too? You beat Washington, hell, you should be able to beat anyone else too. So that, starting off that brutal kind of stretch, well, I mean, they, they played, you know, they beat Oregon, uh, you know, lost at Stanford and then they had a bye. Coming off the bye, obviously they played really well, but you get that, that huge win against Washington and now that schedule looks a little bit more manageable, I guess you could say. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if they win at Utah, I- Two weeks ago, I'd have been shocked, but now, eh. Yeah, why not? Coin flip, why not? Absolutely. And then even SC in two weeks. Yeah. Oh, the way, yeah, the way SC, yeah. <laughs> Again, if you be, if you can beat Washington at home, you can beat anyone. Yeah. In the conference, at least. <laughs> the, uh, so we, we have to talk about, cause, and Kyle knows, we, we sort of troll Washington fans sometimes about the Jake Browning 
situation. Um, I still maintain he's a top ten quarterback in the conference. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waver from that. That's still <laughs> that's still I still believe that. Um, but this was the kind of thing I was talking about because we would say he's. He just hasn't faced all that much adversity. You know, they're usually just always winning and he plays well. Uh, I think it, for USC fans, we see like a Cody Kessler where they get a lot of stats, but it's like, have you had come from behind wins? Have you taken a team and put them on your, your back? And to be fair, he hasn't needed to do that often, but in the situations when it's happened and you needed it, we just haven't seen him kind of come through and to deliver. So I'm all joking aside, what are your kind of thoughts on? him as far as being an elite quarterback and some of the criticisms that he's faced. So the the criticisms about Jake Browning are that I you know at least that I've seen are, are usually about, you know, arm streak and physical capabilities and I think those are all valid, right? If you compare him physically side by side with, you know, you know, Rosen or Sam Darnold or Luke Falk, I mean even Manny Wilkins, uh there there's other quarterbacks in the conference who, you know, if you're kind of, you know, if you're in the lab building a quarterback, you would start with before Jake Brown. I think that's clear. Just when you see, you know, him trying to throw the ball downfield, it doesn't mean he can't do it. Um, but his, his strengths is, is decision making, you know, not throwing picks, not turning the ball over, kind of doing what, you know, the, the, the team needs him to do to be effective. And I think he does a really good job in that system. I think he benefits, um, significantly from, from Chris Peterson being the head coach there. Yeah. I mean, he has got, he's put one successful quarterback on the field after the next, his entire time he's been a head coach. So I think you can kind of expect that any quarterback really for Chris Peterson is going to put up good stats, is going to make good decisions. Um, but I do think again, you know, going back to the physical stuff, that's all, that, that's all valid stuff. Um, at the same time, I, I he could go and he could go down as the wittiness quarterback in Pac-12 history by the time you know he's by the time he's done. So I think Browning is uh, last year was deservingly awarded the Pac-12's conference of the offensive player of the year, um, but I think he certainly benefits from everyone around him. They have two backs in Levon Coleman and Miles Gaskin who uh, you know, could start most places. Last year with John Ross did did a lot to make him look good. So yes. that's kind of where I where I stand on Jake Browning. Can, can I read you my favorite tweet from Saturday? Okay. <laughs> this is from at civil underscore tweets, and he tweets, Is that Jake Browning's arm floating in my ramen? Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> think we get the, that was one of the tweets because we got. A, because he has a noodle arm. Right. <laughs> get do it? We, get it? No, no, no. Do, <laughs> we, do, do, do you understand the joke? It's, it's really funny. I do. do we get that tweet like to our account, the Pac-12? Yeah, that was tweeted at Pac-12 Podcast. Yeah. And at each of ourselves. Nice. Um, well, sorry. I mean, we're not, you know, I'm not trying to tease you guys, Husky fans, but. No, it's a. That's, that's but a you're kind of trying. Yeah. yeah. We are. We are. <laughs> it, it came from the fact that we were like, and I told Kyle this when we were talking, like, what would, would a Pac-12 All-Star team do well against Alabama and I felt like if you're just like have a couple weeks to get ready I'd rather just take a team like Washington and you know give them a few pieces but I would definitely replace Browning you know and and they kind of got took offense to that and I'm like I'd rather put Rosen on that team than you know have Jake Browning back there but um you know there's I think you can criticize all quarterbacks but we just haven't seen I just haven't don't remember a close game like maybe Arizona last year where they they won that one close like where he just needs to make plays and you rely on him to do it, you know, and that doesn't necessarily make, you know, the, the only important thing about a quarterback, but that's kind of what you want. You know, sometimes the game's going to go to crap and you need your quarterback to like, just bail you out. And, 
Bronick just doesn't seem to be like that so guy. So you're penalizing him for winning by too many points most of the time. Well, they just, it's always like when everything's on schedule, he's fine. It's like a starting pitcher, you know, like they're so like, oh, I got this is, I do this on this day, and I throw a warm up toss this day. And it's like, you asked, was it Lackey had to pitch last night on the first time in his career uh, for the Cubs? First time he's ever pitched like two days in a row and gives up the game winning home run at the end. Those guys get in such a routine that everything's got to be on schedule for them to perform at the optimum level. It just seems like a guy like him. That's if it's well, you know, if everything's not working, the running game isn't working. I got you know, and I got oh, I got to play from behind. It just doesn't seem like that's his thing. It, it, that's happened so. F- other, Ryan. It just hasn't happened very many times, though. He like yeah. I think he deserves credit for keeping him on schedule. Right, that's his yeah. job, and the fact that they don't, they are rarely in a situation where they need him to make a big play at the big moment because he's been so efficient <laughs> yeah. for most of the game. Like you know, you could look at it a couple ways there. Ryan, I hate how you're like the negative person on this podcast, always bringing it down. <laughs> hey, I'm, you guys are not talking me out of keeping him in the top 10. I think he's in the, the top 10 quarterback. Um, uh, I mean, certainly behind Khalil Tate, right? Like, he's got to be behind him. Both guys at Stanford. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Our number five team. Washington State Cougars. Pretty big fall from number one. Probably not far enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kyle, Kyle, so you guys need to go on ESPN to check out Kyle's power rankings because he does his own. He had Washington State four, so I'm not saying he's playing favorites. And I texted Dave, I'm like, should we do that? He goes, well, they didn't lose, you know, did anyone else lose? Did Utah lose by 34 to Cal? I'm like, okay, good point. Also, like, who has Utah, who has Utah won against? Like their best win of the year is against Arizona, and Washington State's best win of the year is against USC. Washington State's got more wins, less losses, a winning record well, in the conference. So I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say Washington State so should which, be ranked which, ahead against ahead of Utah at this point. Okay, so one team has two losses, and the other one has one loss. But tell me, which team's combined um, deficit in their losses is four? And which ones is 34? Um, that's a valid point. I, I wrote that exact thing in my power ranking or in my own power rankings that, you know, Utah, you know, deserves credit for playing close in their losses. So it's not like a, I, I didn't take that into account. But at the same time, you know, any team, like any teams, like I, I would say like four through, you know, eight probably right now, you can kind of put them in a hat, shuffle them oh, together, yeah. and you yeah. can make a logical argument for one over the other. I mean, we have, Cal, I have Cal at seven in mine. They just beat Washington State by 34. Like, go make sense of that. So right. there's a lot of these. You're, hard, we're just yeah. going to go around in circles at this point with the way it's played out oh, the yeah. last few weeks. Yeah. And we, Dave and I were talking about just leaving number one blank this week. You know, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> fitting. I should have done that. <laughs> yeah. That was like Dave's it. idea, to be fair. Um, okay. Our number four team. Utah Utes. All right. So Utah uh, came all the way to L.A. Um, we're up 21-7 at half. Um, looked like. He had fair control of this game, um, despite, again, Tyler Huntley not being uh, healthy enough for the game. And then USC came roaring back, um, won the game 28-27, uh, sort of a dramatic finish. Uh, Utah uh, scored what could have been the tying touchdown at the end, but instead they went for two, um, trying to end it regulation, which I liked. I thought it was the right move because um, the way USC's offense was starting to roll in that second half, it just didn't feel like... Utah was going to be able to keep pace in overtime. Um, they didn't get it. It's kind of a weirdly designed play. Um, just didn't seem to have many options for Troy Williams. Um, looked like a run-pass combo where he could have run with it, but he just maybe wasn't quite as decisive as he needed to be. 
Um, and the end result is uh, Utah lost by a point. But, you know, I think this was maybe a better game for, for USC's offense um, than the score would necessarily indicate. I think USC kind of got off the schneid a little bit in terms of their offensive production. Um, they were uh, they were a better team in this one. If Sam Darnold doesn't fumble the ball a bunch on just some weird plays, um, they would have won this game, I think, probably significantly more comfortably. Um, the first half would have been competitive, but I think USC would have uh, probably won this by a couple of scores, as I thought they would when I picked them minus 12 and a half. Yeah, that wasn't very smart, Dave, but I, yeah. Um, so it was pretty much USC stunk in the first half, turned the ball over three times, and then they were good in the second half. And it was the Sam Darnold we saw from last year where this is what kind of – I don't think the USC offense as a whole, even last year, was, like, good. It wasn't like, here's the play that's going to be run, and it, it works well. We fooled the whatever defense, whatever it is. It's more like, here's a play that's coming out there. It's not quite working. And then it breaks down, and then Darnold's got to do some magic, and he makes something crazy happen. And that's kind of when they were at their best last year. The, the problem with the first six games of the season – well, the first six games plus a half, um, it was like that a lot. Um, and then – but Darnold's magic wasn't there. He wasn't hitting guys on the run. He just wasn't doing those kind of things. In the second half, he did. Um, obviously, no turnovers in the second half helped a lot. But um, I think it really, to me, it seemed like he got a little bit of that mojo back. His it factor, his you know, some of the throws, you know, watch the the one to Tyler Petit in the end zone just looks like ridiculous. There's guys all around him. It kind of reminded you of like what he did in the Rose Bowl last year to Penn State. You started to see that in the second half. So if you're a USC fan, that's kind of what you want to see, what you expected all year. Outside of the Stanford game, you really haven't seen it. They've been underperforming the whole year. Uh, but they it seemed like they got a little bit of that magic back in the second half. It actually felt a lot like Utah last year in that it was a close game. They turned the ball over and lost that one. This one, obviously, they ended up on the right side of things. But coming out of it, you feel much better about the direction of the offense and the team as a whole, even though that the score line maybe wasn't as... Um, it, it, indicative of how they played. I mean, they, the three touchdown drives in the second half, what were they? 98, 88, <laughs> and 93 yards. Yeah. To, to, to put together three drives of that length in the same half is, is crazy, especially against a team like Utah. I went back and looked it up. Last year, Utah only allowed five touchdown drives of 88 yards or longer all season. Wow. And SC had three <laughs> in the second half. So that kind of shows you how, you know, kind of the what they were up against we talked about Wisnowski winning the the player of the week because of how well he punted the ball but it really was negated by the fact that you know they just couldn't get Sam Darnold off the field in the second half um for the Utah side another close loss missing you know you got your all-american field goal kicker 15 to 16 end up missing a, a fairly makeable field goal um no punt return yardage you, you know that was a, a big factor i thought the you know, the deciding factor could be Utah's special teams. And I don't think either side did like anything too tremendous, but, uh, I mean, obviously the, you know, Utah was punting the ball well, but I, I thought there could be a bigger advantage for Utah there. Uh, and, but missing that field goal was, was really, uh, really a killer, I thought. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially after he made, um, maybe the best, uh, PAT of all time. Yeah. Last week. week. Uh, it was crazy, but that's, you know, it's tough. Like, so, uh, you know, tough loss to Stanford, real close, close tough loss to USC. Uh, but I think this is still a really good Utah team. Uh, they're, you know, 
with USC having a four and one Pac-12 record, it's going to be tough for them to catch them and USC having the tiebreaker. But you know, they can. This team's talented enough; they can still make a run. And if Huntley comes back too, I thought Troy Williams played pretty well, but um, he play yeah. he only plays well against USC. Is yeah. kind of the Troy Williams <laughs> way of playing college football. Yep. Huntley's going to make a big difference, I and mean, he's 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 a much better player. To you know, quite frank on it, and if he was in the game, I think. Uh, it certainly you have to allow for the possibility the outcome would have been different. Just as you oh, know, yeah. when, when USC was in Pullman and they were missing three starting offensive linemen, yeah, it kind of makes a difference when you have you know significant pieces out like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's see. So our number uh, three team, Washington Huskies. <laughs> so we talked about them, uh, and then this is a team. Okay. So for number two, number one, we kind of went back and forth on this a little bit, but we ended up. Going with number two, Stanford Cardinal. And back at number one, USC Trojans. But Dave, they've kind of felt that Stanford should be one. I don't know, Kyle, you put, you put USC one. You guys want to talk about that? Any thoughts? I think Stanford's playing better than anybody else in the Pac-12 right now. Um, and so that's why I did it. Yeah, obviously USC has the head to head, but I think that was a different Stanford team at that time. They've clearly figured some things out offensively and their defense is playing a little bit better. So that's why I did it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I had SC one, Stanford two, uh, Stanford, like you said, you know, four straight wins with the kind of the emergence of, of Bryce Love, um, is certainly has them as impressive as there's been in the conference of the last few weeks. But at the same time, they do have two losses. I'll go back to that again. And one of them was to USC, and it was a pretty one-sided game. So to look at those teams head-to-head um, and, and decide that Stanford should be ahead of, of USC in the power rankings at this point, I'm not ready to go there yet. I think there's certainly the possibility that Stanford you know closes the year as the better team. But right now, I think USC is the deserved number one. All right. Well, there you have it. Okay, so that's our recap. Um, we got five games in the, in the conference, one out of conference game, you know, so four between conference foes and one non-con. Um, so you ready to go through these, Dave? Let's do it. All right. So, uh, first up, so no Friday games this week. These are all on Saturday. We have Arizona State Sun Devils (laughs) traveling to Utah Utes. This is on 1230 on Fox Sports 1, uh, Arizona State 3-3, three and three, traveling to Utah 4-2. and two. Utah's favored by 9.5 points, um, which seems like a lot of respect for a team that just lost against a team uh, that just beat the number five team in the country. Um, so this is um, basically, if Tyler Huntley's back, I would feel comfortable taking Utah here, um, but... I, I mean, he didn't even travel this weekend, at least from what I was reading. Um, so I don't know about that one. And ASU looked pretty good this past week, um, even offensively. And I think Washington's defense is comparable to Utah. Um, I'm just not confident. I, I think Utah can win. I'm just not confident they're going to win this by more than a score. So I'll take ASU uh, plus nine and a half. I feel pretty good about that. So Utah's probably going to win by about four touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would agree with you on this one, Dave. Um, I love the way Manny Wilkins is playing right now. I think the defense is obviously playing better. I think Utah's, you know, can win a slobber knocker game, but I, I don't see them blowing them game. out, you know? Uh, but it's, it's certainly different. Say that again. A, a, a what game? Slobber knocker. Is that? I liked it. No, it was good. That's my new I just favorite word. Say it again. 
<laughs> work it in every day. Slobber knocker. Okay. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be like a field goal game kind of either way, which like you said, maybe that means that Utah wins, you know, there, but you know, losing two games in a row, maybe, uh, Winningham's kind of fired up, uh, wants to just pile on a bunch of points, but I just feel it's going to be a close game. So nine and a half is a lot of points to me. So I'm going to stick, uh, take those points. I'm, I'm shocked at how big that line is. I mean, this right. is the first time I've seen it and, Utah just doesn't win by a lot most of the time. If they do, I mean, there's obviously some exceptions to that, but they usually are playing close games yeah. against whoever they're playing. Like, they played BYU early in the year, won by six. They played Stanford, lost by three. They beat Arizona by six. Like, every time Utah plays, it's a close game. So for them to be favored by nine and a half against a team that just beat the number five team in the country seems way too high for me. So I'm, I'm 100%, uh, you know, taking ASU in this one. We are all in agreement on this one. So certainly, Utah fans, you should feel good. Utah Twitter is huge out there, right? Do they? Is Utah oh, Twitter? they're big. They're big, and they're they're probably are uh, they're tied with Washington, I think, for our third biggest uh, fan base um, for the Pac-12 network or Pac-12 podcast specifically, not the network. Definitely the podcast. Right. Utah Twitter is my favorite Pac-12 Twitter. Like of all the fan bases you kind of interact with on online, Utah is the one I enjoy the most. Yeah. Um, they're out there. Any kind of poll, any kind of any like they're on you. They're on top of you. Okay, so uh, next up we have Oregon Ducks. They're coming to L.A. to face UCLA Bruins. Sort of a uh, stoppable force versus the movable object here. Uh, <laughs> Oregon going at UCLA, 1 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. UCLA is favored by seven whole points in a football game, which that, that does not compute. Um, Oregon can still run the ball. Um, they, they can't do much else, but they can run the ball. Do you know what UCLA can't do? Can't stop the run. Can't stop anybody from running the ball. The, I think their best performance against the run this year was against Memphis, but that barely mattered because they still gave up 48 points. Um, other than that, they've given up at least five yards per rush against every single team they've played, and most of the time a lot more than that. They have the second worst rushing defense by a yards per play metric in the country. So... What I mean to say is UCLA is very bad against the run. Um, I'm going to take Oregon here, uh, even though they can't throw the ball at all um, and might still not be able to throw the ball at all in this game. I mean, Arizona just beat them bad, only only throwing the ball 13 times. So I think Oregon defensively is sort of like Arizona light. I think they can disrupt a little bit. I think they're more capable of getting the occasional stop against UCLA than UCLA is against them. Um, so I'm going to take Oregon. Um, I don't know if I'm taking them outright yet, but, um, I think if Josh Rosen doesn't play well, I would take them outright. Um, but I, I'm definitely taking them plus seven. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Dave. I just feel just, you know, I, I thought Oregon could do it last week and they got absolutely whitewashed, uh, by Stanford. They're coming to LA, you know, another road game. UCLA's coming home, not feeling really good about what they did. I just don't know if Oregon's going to be able to take advantage of as bad as the UCLA defense has been. So uh, I'm going to take the Bruins here. I think they're going to cover. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> I would have a hard time picking this game without a point spread being involved. I mean, I, I don't think they're so Jekyll and Hyde or, you know, Oregon and UCLA. That I could certainly see either team winning straight up. So, I mean, so I'll go ahead and take, take Oregon just because they're getting the points on this one. Yep. Uh, all right. So. You guys pick Oregon. I'm sticking with my guy, Josh Rosen and the Bruins. Um, 
I'm going to probably feel really bad. Does he about know this. You're, that he's your guy? I, you know, I, I think I first met him back when he was like a freshman, and I, I was covering Fresno State, and like they and were. You the said f- to him, Josh, I am marking you. You are my guy. So you're a Josh Rosen hipster. <laughs> Since that is what day, he's just known. Oh, Ryan Abraham. That, no. That's the guy who says I'm I'm his guy. I got to interview him because he was he had an offer from Fresno State first, you know, but then obviously that wasn't the uh, case. But I've always been a fan because. He, uh, the, the guys he trolls, like some adults that uh, I'm not huge fans of that he has trolled in his past. And I thought it was kind of funny. Um, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna throw for all over that defense. Let's see. Uh, okay. Next up we have USC Trojans. They'll be on the road at Notre Dame at the fighting Irish. That's my, uh, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Nice. That's my little sound effect. C plus B minus. <laughs> I think I could have done better with a little bit more prep, for sure. <laughs> um, all right, so this game's on at 4.30 uh, on NBC, uh, number 11 USC versus number 13 Notre Dame on the road. Notre Dame's favored by three and a half points. Um, I've got to be honest, I haven't watched Notre Dame play a single football game this year, but I'm going to assume they're overrated uh, because <laughs> Notre Dame always is. Um, USC... Um, you know, I think hidden in that 28-27 win is that their offense did play a lot better than it has um, in previous weeks. Um, even with Sam Darnold obviously fumbling the ball three times um, and in just goofy ways. It's like you can count on one of those like once per game. Um, they still uh, they still looked a lot better. They looked like they leaned on their running game a little bit more. Um, gosh. I don't want to take USC again because I just got burned for it. But I'm going to take Notre Dame minus three and a half. Wow. Pretty good. I, I convinced myself I was going to take USC and then I'm like, all right, so I just do the opposite thing. And then there we go. So my whole thing was that I was not going to pick USC to cover a single spread for the rest of the season. They are one and six against the spread despite being six and one straight up. But this is the first time all season that they are an actual underdog. Cause I kind of feel like USC would do enough to win at the end and stuff. But in this case, it's, they're not the favorite anymore. So it's not like they have to cover some kind of point spread. Um, I do feel like they're going to play a little bit more like they did in the second half against Utah. Um, it's going to be a tough environment. I don't, you know, I, I don't think this is an overrated Notre Dame team. Uh, they, you know, they, they play Georgia. Uh, really tough. Uh, I think they're going to be tough out at home, but I think I kind of feel like Sam Darnold's magic is back a little bit, and so they can win a real close one here. Um, so if, I'm, I'm going against myself. I'm not going to pick USC to cover when they're favored, but they're not favored now. I think I think they're going to win a close one outright. So I'm going to take uh, USC getting three and a half points. I agree with what you said about about Darnold. And I said it earlier too. I think they're on the right track, but at the same time, Notre Dame has actually been pretty good this year and I think in Dave like you mentioned earlier with Utah losing the close games I mean Notre Dame's probably best performance of the year if you look at it is is a one-point loss against Georgia who's you know among the four best teams in the country right now so I'm leaning towards Notre Dame I I I haven't watched them play enough to have it you know to feel good either way Um, but I I think this one could be a a little bit more high scoring than this game has been in the past so um, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick with, and when the spread is only what would you say was three and a half? Three and a half. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you just pick 
whoever you think is going to win the game straight up when it's that close. So I'll, so I'll go with Notre Dame here as well. Wow. So two two games in a row that you guys agree and disagree with me. So well, see what the, my process here is that I saw on the on your board here that Dave's picking at a much higher <laughs> percentage is picking the teams correctly at a much higher percentage. So I'm just waiting to see what he he goes with, and if you guys are split, I just have to side with him. He's a he's a yep. He's on a losing streak, though. He's lost two two weeks in a row to me. He, he's a below under five hundred week. Who had, had like nearly a perfect week? Was that was that me? I'm remembering. I'm remembering that being me. The one, week three, I was uh, four and seven, and you were nine and two. That's the whole difference in our whole season. That one week of out of conference game. So. If Kyle's going to put all his stock into that one and what's week, this, of, what's this game? Is this in conference or is this out of conference? <laughs> this one is out of conference. <laughs> oh, but right, you right, right, suck right, right. at picking USC. So, although right, I right. switched mine and I picked, I'm picking them for the first time, I think all year. So, uh, no, no, I picked them once. I think I picked them once, and that's why I decided not to pick them again. Okay. Uh, the other game we have Arizona Wildcats. Uh, they're going to California Golden Bears. <laughs> All right, this one is on at 5 p.m. <sighs> Stupid ESPN. Is this fact? I think this is Pac-12 Network, but let me just double check that. Um, this, this is Pac-12 is, Network. Yeah, this is uh, okay. So this is Pac-12 Network. Yeah. Uh, Arizona traveling to Cal. Um, Arizona's favored by three points off the strength of that 17-point win over UCLA last week. Um, but this is Cal at home. Cal at home that just uh, beat. Washington State by 34 points. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting. So Cal's defense um, is pretty clearly uh, comfortably above average, I would say. Um, but Arizona um, and Khalil Tate are uh, something that is very tough to deal with. So I'm going to ride Arizona here. I think they're just too hot. I think Khalil Tate is legitimately kind of just impossible to defend against perfectly um i think they're going to score enough and i'm not sure cal can keep up offensively um so i'm going to take arizona minus the three um i think defensively they're going to get after ross bowers too they like to pressure the quarterback and i don't know how well he's going to deal with it so i think arizona might win this pretty comfortably actually and yeah it's in berkeley and cal just did that to washington state but i I think arizona um is just playing at a really high clip right now um, okay, so I think Kyle's going to disagree with you on this one, but I am going to disagree with you also. Uh, so we'll see where Kyle goes. Uh, I'm going to take the sturdy Golden Bears. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I love what Khalil Tate was doing. I got to see him in high school at Sarah. You know, we, but Dave and I both covered him. Um, but those were pretty bad defenses. We thought the, I know that the Colorado defense, uh, they've had some good games, but not, not been that great. Uh, UCLA's, pretty terrible according to you uh my buddy dave woods who covers the team and knows them pretty well so i'm going to trust him on this one uh you know seeing what cal did i love the defensive scheme i think they're going to you know do enough offensively um i kind of think they're going to win a close game but they're getting three points at home i really want to take cal on this one so i'm really going to take cal on this one I don't know if you're reading facial cues or how you knew I was going to go with Cal also, but, but I am. Um, what's interesting, it will be interesting to see is how teams prepare for Khalil Tate a little bit differently now that they know that he's yeah. capable of running for 500 yards in, in like, 
in, in, like, in five plays. Like he's literally got the ability to go 100 yards every time he touches it. Um, it so for me, that that I, I think he kind of comes down to earth a little bit this week. I think uh, Justin Wilcox has, has done such a good job um, preparing that defense um, you know, turning that defense around this year from where they were in the past. I mean, there might not be a better coaching job in the country um, right now than what Cal has done on defense in just in terms of where they were before and where they yeah. are now because you could count on Cal giving up 40 points just about every week for the entirety of Sonny Dykes' tenure and for them to go out and hold Mike Leach's team to its lowest output in six years um, kind of it tells you everything you know about the, the kind of the direction um, the cow has gone. So, I mean, that doesn't really address this game specifically so much, but um, I'll go ahead and stick with Cal after the big win last week. Yeah, the uh, congr- you know, hats, uh, congrats to Tim DeRuiter, who's the new defensive coordinator there. Uh, I covered him when he was at Fresno State, and uh, just I like him a lot. Really good guy. Obviously, he's doing good things. Wilcox is a young coach, but he hired some really good coordinators. You know, both former head coaches and stuff. And the reason I knew you were going to pick Cal because we saw what they did to Washington State. So you're going to ah, okay. you're going to give them a lot of credit. So. Uh, it sold, was, you can't, sold on the Bears. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, interesting. So, Dave and I, we we're, we uh, digress on three picks already out of the five. What happened What happened the last time we disagreed on a bunch of picks? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so what's going to happen is I'm going to miss all the ones that you guys are <laughs> conflicted on. That would be good because then I'm, I'm two for one. You've all agreed you with me once. Pick up again. There yeah, you go. That would be pick up again. Okay. Uh, so the, uh, the last game we have. Colorado Buffaloes. They'll be up on the Palouse for Washington State Cougars. So this one's on at 7:45 on ESPN. A nice, you know, early kick. Um, Colorado going at number 15. Washington State in Pullman. Washington State's favored by 11. Um, I think Colorado might be trending towards, um, and I, this is me as a longtime Buffs fan. Uh, they might be trending towards just bad. They might not be good. They might be bad. Like not. Not just like below average, but they might be a bad team. Um, their defense hasn't looked good. Their offense has been good in fits and starts, but they just have not been consistent at all. And Washington State's probably pissed after last week. Um, now, they did just lose by 34 points, and Washington State's been known to fall into like three-game lulls um, at the beginnings and ends and sometimes in the middles of seasons. Um, but I've got to go Washington State minus 11 at home. Um, I think they're going to bounce back, and I think Colorado's not trending in a good direction. This is their second consecutive road game. Uh, again, the Pacific Northwest, I just don't think it's going to end particularly well for them. And, you know, Pullman at night, uh, I, I think Colorado could get rolled here. Yeah, back-to-back road games doesn't seem to, to bode well for Pac-12 teams. Maybe Kyle, Kyle might have some stats on that at some point. But I think Washington State bounces back. Um, everything went wrong. I think they're, yeah, Colorado, I think, is a bad team. Not trending towards a bad team. Um, they just are right now. So, yeah, Washington State all the way. I would probably take them, you know, minus 20 or something. Like it, it would, it would take like minus 21 for me to like really consider taking Colorado at this point. I'll agree with you guys. I mean, I think, uh, I'll, I'll give you my inner what's it, tout service type okay. stat here. Right. No, on the season, Colorado is two and five against the spread. <laughs> Washington State four and three against the spread. No, I think uh I think they flushed that one. I think I think they flushed last week's game behind them and kind of just pick up where they left off the last time they were in Pullman and that was the that was the win against SC. Um I just have too much faith in in, in Luke Falk and, and Mike Leach to 
to turn things around and kind of put that one behind him. In Colorado, I'm with you on on that one, Dave. They just don't they just don't look like a good team at all. They look like you said trending towards bad, and for them to go to Pullman and win against Washington State would be almost as shocking as what happened to the Cougs last week. Cool. All right. So those are all our picks. A lot of differences. And we got Kyle in the mix now. So we'll be able to, I'll, I'll be up on the website, uh, on pack12podcast.com. Uh, great stuff there. So you ready for some questions now, Kyle? You ready to, to jump in with the, the mailbag? This is my favorite part of the show. So all right. I've been just waiting for this part the whole time. So, uh, you want me to start with a voicemail, Dave? Let's start with the voicemail. Yeah. Our buddy from, uh, from your neck of the woods called back again because, uh, you know, his team did pretty well. Here we go. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Dave. What's going on? This is Derek, you know, calling again. Cal Baron, ATL. Uh, big win against Washington State. Um, you know, coming into the game, I didn't really know what to expect. And even in the fourth quarter, we're up 24, three or whatever it was. You now I'm still like, ah, you know, it's still long. 15 minutes to go. Glad we won. I'm also a little trivia. Um, the last time Cal was really in the news like this was 10 years ago to the week that we lost to Oregon State. So I thought it was pretty cool that we got to win literally 10 years, uh, I think a day after that last game against Oregon State. But, um, yeah, definitely a good time to be excited as a Cal Bears fan. And, um, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a good time to be excited for sure. And at four and three, I think, uh, bowl game seems pretty solidly in your future you know they'd have to win two more of arizona at home at colorado oregon state at home at stanford at ucla there's two more wins in there i don't know which ones they are but there's two more wins out there yeah we'll see any comments kyle on cal i think cal like this was uh Kind of piggybacking what you said earlier, I think Wilcox, the staff he put together was, was really impressive. And I think they're just ahead of schedule. And so the fact that they're, the having success that they're having at this point in the year is encouraging. They're not going to, you know, they were never going to compete for the conference title or anything like that in the division this year, but it certainly makes you more optimistic about them, um, doing so in the future, right? If, if, if they're, you know, uh, in the mix in the North next year, I wouldn't be surprised. Just, yeah. I, I think Wilcox, again, has done such a good job, um, riding the ship there. So. Yeah, good time to be a Bear fan for sure. We have, uh, so this question came in. I think it was, I think he intended it for, uh, the USC podcast, but it's a Pac-12 kind of question. I thought it would be good to, to bring it up here because I had a, had lunch with our buddy Bruce Feldman and, um, you know, national thoughts on where the Pac-12 is as far as one of these teams making the playoffs. So let's play this for you and we'll get everyone's thoughts. Hi, Ryan. This is Joe, USC class of 2017. Maybe coming to you with a premature question, given the fact that we're only entering week eight, but I'm curious to see where your uh, head is at on this one. Uh, in a hypothetical doomsday scenario in which there are four one-loss conference conference champions, say USC, Penn State, Oklahoma, and Clemson, and keep in mind I'm operating under the assumption that Alabama goes undefeated, do you think the Pac-12 will have enough respect from the committee to get into the playoff, especially now that we have no teams in the top ten? It seems unlikely to get any in the top five by the season's end. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate all you, Harvey, Dan, Keeley, and Shotgun. Take care. All right. Which, um, teams, which teams did he say? Uh, so he was saying Clemson. I think he said, did he say Oklahoma? And uh, Whichever it is, Oklahoma uh, yeah. or um well, I guess if it's Oklahoma, they've got the win over Ohio State, and I think Ohio State was his Big Ten team. Yeah, was it? I believe um, so. Yeah. Penn so State. they've got 
Oh, maybe it meant Penn State. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. One loss team. Okay. I think it, I think that why that matters is that Oklahoma does have the win over Ohio State, and if it's say it's Oklahoma State, they don't have the as good a non-conference win to kind of stack up. So I think that you know factors into the equation a little bit. Um, I think USC is the only one of the three one-loss teams that are left in the Pac-12. I think USC is really the only one that could go into that room as a one-loss team versus other one-loss teams and feel confident about getting in. I just don't think. The non-conference schedules for both the Washington schools are are good enough to stack up against those other conference champs, and kind of where they're at in the rankings right now will you know factor in too. I mean, certainly they'll be a part of the conversation, but the Pac-12 isn't positioned very well right now. But SC um, is certainly the exception. If it wins out, it, it'll have a pretty good chance to get in. Yeah, I tend to think so as well. Yeah, I kind of kind of agree, but I just don't think the doomsday scenario will happen. Like, I mean. No one think like you're looking at the schedule. Would you go Clemson? Oh, going to Syracuse that might be tough. Like you don't say, <laughs> like you didn't say that. Or well, they have Washington. to go to NC State as well, and NC State's legit good this year. So I don't, I don't even think it's a foregone conclusion they'll be a one loss team. Yeah, and then you know, like you don't assume Washington State's going to go to Cal and lose. There's just a lot of a lot of football left to be played. You know? Yeah, Ryan and I were talking about this earlier, and it's 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 kind of funny to have these conversations now about who's in, who's out of the playoff, because you know this past weekend showed you that the unexpected losses are going to happen, and so to have hypothetical discussions about what's going to happen, while it's fun and everything, I enjoy doing it, it really isn't worth much, because so much still has to happen before you can have a real intelligent um, right. debate about who should be in, who should be out. Right. Email questions? Yeah, let's do, if you want to start, you can do a couple, then I'll do a couple. I'll just follow your lead. Sure. All right, we'll start with Brian from Livermore. Uh, grading Coach T and career question. Hi, Ryan and Dave. First time riding in, and i got to say I love the podcast. Been listening to each one the day it comes out. I listen over my Bay Area commute, which is about an hour and 15 minutes on average each way, so two-hour podcasts are just fine with me. Then you're going to be very excited today, Brian. <laughs> Uh, plus, your content is always engaging. Oregon alumni, including my wife, living in the Bay, so it's refreshing to have people like yourselves cover all teams with a sense of not being biased towards UCL, uh, towards LA schools the way a lot of LA school fans can be. So here's my two questions. One, based on expectations of a championship caliber team or building one, how would you grade Coach T at Oregon thus far in terms of recruiting players and coaching staff and on-field performance? How far out are they from being back in the national hunt in your p- opinion, and what must they do to get there as early as next year well I, I i'm i i'm if i was an Oregon fan i'd be pretty ecstatic so far if justin herbert hadn't gotten hurt i think you could feel pretty reasonably confident that Oregon, with the losses um this weekend for both washington and washington state would be kind of in the mix and that washington state game certainly would have been much more competitive even if washington state ended up winning um without justin herbert obviously they're playing um guys you shouldn't be playing at this point uh braxton Burmeister at this point in his career and taylor alley ever um but uh <laughs> the uh i think the future is super bright and they're recruiting at like a top 10 level which is something that oregon really didn't even do at their peak with chip kelly and mark helfrick so the early returns are phenomenal the fact that the defense is better than it was last year even though it's still not great is phenomenal um and their offense They'll get it together once they have their quarterback. It's a little bit different. It's not quite that blur scheme they were running, but it's it's going to be an effective offense with the quarterback they have it designed for. Um, so this year you might take your lumps just because Herbert got hurt, but I think the future is very bright. I think one of the pro- one of the problems 
with Oregon kind of moving forward is that they, they didn't recruit well at the end of Helfrich's tenure. And that's doesn't necessarily hurt them this year, but it'll hurt next year yeah. and the year after that, the, the high, you know, the high caliber recruits that they're bringing in for this next class. I mean, you, uh, the expectation for those guys to turn them into a, a national title contender early in their career is like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have those types of expectations. So I, I still think they're a few years away from, from, from returning into that discussion seriously, but I do like the direction that they've had um, since Tiger's taken over. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard. I mean, to say that a national hunt, basically you just have to be, if he's, if you're competing to win the North, then you're in the national hunt, right? Cause then you're, you're probably have a chance to be in the playoff. And I do think they're kind of a couple of years away. Um, maybe there's a little dip because, uh, you know, Helfrich and the, his recruiting wasn't the same kind of level, but Willie Tiger's going to bring a lot, lot of, a lot of dudes in there. They look really good. For sure. And then there's a second part. Uh, if money were no object, which other Pac-12 team would you enjoy covering and why? If you can't choose, maybe just a top three and a bottom three. Bottom meaning I would never entertain the idea. Please exclude SoCal schools that you don't currently cover as those answers are too easy. Plus, no one would hire you there. Thanks and keep up the excellent work. Go Ducks. I actually had a lot of fun like covering Fresno State. Now, it was like kind of a pain to drive three and a half hours to go to like some practices and stuff, but it was cool just seeing a different point of view and, and going from like a big, you know, I think they have a big time atmosphere there, but it's not like there's a lot of media. There's like the Fresno B and that's it. So you have a lot more access. You can go, you know, that's how I became friends with Tim Deruder. He was the head coach and be like, Hey, Ryan, how's it, you know, definitely different kind of thing. So I, I, I don't see a school I wouldn't like to. I think it'd be fun to do like a Colorado or something. Um, that'd be cool. Uh, I mean, you probably have to live there. You know, I think Utah would be, there's, I mean, I, all the schools I think I would have. It's not like I would dislike covering any of them, I would think. Well, I, I do think cover Stanford all the, well, fine. I do cover all the schools. So yeah. I can, I guess I can weigh in here with some sort of expertise. <laughs> um, but if you're, it really depends on the coaching staff, right? The personalities yeah. you have in there. So it's kind of who you mesh with from, from that perspective is going to factor in um, significantly. So, but I think it's more of an issue like, where would you want to live? Like, yeah. what trips are the most fun to take? And Boulder's the, my favorite trip. Yeah. I really, I've got to go there three times over the past two years. And every time I go there, I just want to stay and, and not come back to Southern California. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a cool, fun place to be. And so if I was picking one, one team to cover, it would be Colorado. And that is only because of its location. I would pick Stanford. Um, first location's good. Second, um, Look, after a lot of years of covering UCLA and previous to that just being a fan of UCLA, I'd like to cover a team that, like, just wins football games <laughs> instead of losing a lot of them. Like, I think that would be fun. And so uh, Stanford being the most consistent program in the Pac-12 over the last six, seven years, yeah, I'll pick them. And I, I was thinking more about where to live and where to go, too. But, like, yeah, if you— Bay Area is nice. Yeah, no, yeah, Palo Alto, the Bears is cool. I mean, really expensive, though. Like, Seattle would be awesome, but, like, trying to cover Chris Peterson, who doesn't want to talk, I mean, that that would be less fun to do, too. So I, you'd have to weigh all those factors in, but I think you could make it work for anywhere. Yeah. Um, okay, Anthony had a question. Dear Ryan and Dave, uh, which of the following head coaches or coordinators uh, who would be good head coaches in the Pac-12 since they there may be some turnover in the offseason? Scott Frost. Uh, head coach at UCF, formerly Oregon's offensive coordinator. Uh, Mike Norvell, the head coach at Memphis, formerly ASU's offensive coordinator. Jed Fish, uh, UCLA's offensive coordinator. He was formerly at Michigan. Uh, Jim Levitt, current Oregon defensive coordinator. He was former head coach at USF. 
and former defensive coordinator at Colorado, and Jeff Brom, head coach at Purdue. He was, of course, he's new there. He was, of course, the head coach at Western Michigan before that. Thank you from Anthony. The only one I wouldn't, like, hire as a head coach at this point is probably Jim Levitt, just because he's done it before and wasn't great. But, um, I, so it kind of depends on which job's open, right? So both Washington schools, unless Leach does decide to follow Moose to Nebraska, feel like they're pretty locked in. Um, Oregon State will obviously be in the market for a new head coach. Oregon's set. Cal and Stanford both look set unless David Shaw takes the pretty much standing offer to coach an NFL team. Um, Utah and Colorado both seem set. USC's set. And then so I think it's between the Arizona schools, UCLA, and Oregon State. So those are the four schools that I could see reasonably coming open, right? Everyone agree? Yeah. So with those four schools... I mean, I think any of the other four are a fit. I mean, I think Jeff Brom is going to, wherever he lands after Purdue, he's going to bring a different kind of offense, and it'll be a game changer wherever it lands. I mean, it's already been a game changer at Purdue. They're suddenly a competitive team. And, you know, it's so weird watching that team. I don't know if you guys watch much Purdue, but it's not even just the offense. The offense is clearly better, but the fact that they have an identity offensively, it just seems to have kind of infected that whole team because they're a whole bunch better defensively, too. Um, and so when you get one of those kind of uh, transformative head coaches, I think it can have impact across the board. Scott Frost is doing a great job at UCF. He also has an innovative offensive system. Mike Norvell's fine at Memphis. Um, I don't know how great he is. He's, I think he's taken a step back from Justin Fuente at Memphis, but he's, he's solid. And I think Jed Fish has done some nice job, uh, has done a nice job, but obviously the jury's still out on him. So, um, my order would be Brom, Frost, Norvell, Fish, and then I probably wouldn't hire Jim Levitt at any of those four programs, but what are your guys' thoughts? I think you're selling Jim Levitt a little short here. I mean, he, he started a program from scratch. It didn't exist, football yeah. did not exist at South Florida, and in his tenure there, they went 95 and 57, um, at, at least when they got to, uh, at least when they got to the Division One level. So, I mean, I think he's certainly a capable head coach. And the only reason his tenure ended there was because they had that weird thing with the with the student, uh, with the there was like some altercation with him and a player where he got physical with them. I don't remember all the details, so I don't want to get into that too much. But I think certainly he he would be successful as a head coach. And there's a reason he's getting paid over a million dollars to be the defensive coordinator at Oregon. The job he did turning around Colorado's defense was you know nothing short of miraculous. I mean, they went from one of the worst defenses in the country to among the best in the country in just two years. So I have a lot of respect for, for what Lovett has done in his career, kind of turning programs around. Um, but yeah, going back to that original list, I mean, they're all – Good candidates. I think yeah. if you if they land somewhere, any fan base that gets any of those guys could have you know high expectations. I, I'm not sh- sure you would really know what to expect with with Fish as much, just because he hasn't been a head coach. So to project him out as you know in leading his own program, um, I think it's tough to do at this point. He's obviously uh, has the NFL experience. He's got he's been a coordinator at several places in college, so he'll certainly you know get that opportunity eventually. He's a really bright guy. I've talked to him quite a few times since he's been at UCLA. I've always come away very impressed with. With, you know his insights about the game, so you know, certainly will be interesting to see where he ends up. I just don't think you can project him as well as some of the other guys who have already been head coaches. For Brom, I think, I mean, he's, it's still his first year at Purdue, right? So I don't think he's jumping ship after one year. So any of those jobs that opened up, I don't see him as a kind of a real candidate. Um, which leaves who else is who else is in the oh, Scott Norvell. Frost, Scott Frost, uh, Mike Norvell. 
Levitt and Fish. So. Yeah, so Norvell, I would put a, a kind of a notch below Frost at this point, just because you know, look at the look at the team success that both of those guys are having. UCF's one of the best teams in the Group of Five right now, and Memphis is um, is playing well, but they're just not quite at that level yet. So I think of and if we're evaluating all those guys and who you want to kind of turn the turn the reins over to to lead your program, I think I probably have just talked myself into Scott Frost. I think they're are they still undefeated right now? I think they are. Yeah, they are, and they're um, advanced stats love them too. They're like a top ten team by most uh, most of those metrics. Yeah. And they were a disaster when he took them over too. Yep. So he's shown that he can you know, can make uh, turn a team around uh, pretty quickly. So uh, so my vote is for Scott Frost. My my tiers would be Brahm and Frost in the top tier, and then like a Levitt, Norvell, and then Fish, just because it's just un, you know, yeah, it's really unproven. But I like the thing I like about Brahm is uh, when you talk about like innovative offenses. If you look at like a pyramid scheme, there's like guys that come up with the thing at the top, and then it kind of you know disseminates down to all these other people. You want to get people that are as close to the top of the pyramid as possible. Like if it's a Hal Mummy or whoever like you know created some kind of offense and. Uh, you know, like Leach, you know, guys that are just, they're kind of pioneers. And I think Brahm would be one of those guys, like right near the top of one of those pyramids. So you're not getting somebody that learned from somebody that learned from somebody. You're getting the somebody, you know, and that's kind of what like him. My wife as a Purdue graduate would also not like him to oh. leave. I'm not saying he would leave, but he would be, uh, I was just throwing that as an add-on to, nice. the, to the conversation, although she does not watch the game, so she probably wouldn't even notice. <laughs> But yeah, watch him. You watch if you watch those Western Michigan teams, they were pretty darn good. Um, do you want me to Western go to the next Kentucky? One? Huh? Western yeah, Kentucky. Go to the next one. Well, I'm sorry, Western Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, so we had one from John. It says, "Dear Ryan and Dave, um, please do not shorten your podcast. The arbitrary shortening of something sounds like what Larry Scott would do. If anything, I would like the podcast to be longer. But if not, two hours is just about right. You have news about twelve teams to cover, six plus." games to recap important power rankings to assign very important john uh, and six plus games to preview i'm shocked you can actually do it all in two hours kirk herbstreet would be happy to know i'm just thankful for any pack 12 podcast but your podcast is now i'm sorry your podcast is how i learn about all the teams in the pack 12 and it is welcoming cure to my usc and asu myopia okay i spend 10 hours a week commuting to and from work the podcast of champions make 20 makes 20 percent of my commute feel like a joyride thank you for your time energy research trolling and late night Pac-12 game viewing you pour into every episode with much admiration and appreciation, John in Brea. Well, That's thank great. you, John. So nice. He's a- um, all right. So I'm, I'm moving on to the next one. Okay. Pac-12 podcast suggestion. This is from Alex from Pasadena. Hola, amigos. So how about at the end of the podcast, you do a things we learned this weekend, sending this to you now because I played football a long time ago. I can't seem to remember things later on. Haha, <laughs> kidding. Thanks again. Keep up the great work. Uh, Alex, you're asking us for another way to lengthen this podcast. <laughs> so I think um, I, I, I think people are in unanimous support, at least the people who ended at – I mean, I guess, again, it's a sample size issue because we only tacked that on at the end of the last podcast, which was at like the hour and 55 mark to <laughs> let us know if you want the podcast to be that long. And that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because anybody who listened that long probably wants them to be that long. Yeah, and now wants to make it longer. Things we learned. Um, I don't maybe know. for next week. Maybe maybe for next week when we can actually think about yeah. it. The problem is we're going to forget that that you even wrote us in. So unless we like, we'll have to write this down, Dave. And uh, things we learned. 
Yeah, yeah. I have children, so I can't remember anything. Um, <laughs> I don't think either of you have an excuse. I'm old. Can, is that an excuse? Or is that... Yeah, you're like what? Like 60? Hey, man. 61. No? <laughs> I have, I'm 46, Mr. Millennial. <laughs> or X. What are you, Gen X or Y? Or I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm okay. a millennial. I'm, I'm 31 years old, but I am still a millennial. What is the cutoff for millennial? I have no idea. Oh, it's something stupid. Something arbitrary. It's like, it's like 1982. So people who are 35 right now are apparently millennials. It's oh. just dumb. It's very dumb. All right. Next up, I'm going to read the next one. Sure. All right, this is from our man Hithliday Almond. Actually, I don't know. Man, woman. It's from a frequent emailer. Uh, Pac-12 in China. The reason Larry Scott signed a deal with Alibaba to get the Pac-12 network in China is two words. Basketball money. The NBA in China launched in 2008. It is currently valued at over $2.5 billion, with a B. There are more registered Chinese basketball players, 356 million, than United States citizens, 324 million. It's a country with a burgeoning middle class and a huge appetite for Western sports. The inventory of Pac-12 broadcasts already exists. Selling it to China is free money, and there is precisely one U.S. college conference position to capitalize on and lock out future competitors from an unfathomably large market. All of this comes back to revenue. The Pac-12 isn't on your hotel room TV because Pac-12 fans aren't rabid enough to quit their provider over it and East Coast fans don't care. It's an intractable problem as long as the mandate to maximize revenues exists because lowering the asking price to what DirecTV wants isn't affordable right now. But maybe a big fat additional revenue stream from overseas markets will provide that breathing room. I love you boys, but it is astonishing to me that you have a hard time figuring this out. I do think there are some idiots in this conversation, but I don't think Larry Scott is one of them. All right, you've explained your position well, and I agree with you. Now, that's that's about all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're just figuring out that we're idiots, I don't know. I mean, you just have to listen to that. I don't know why why that's a surprise to anybody. Kyle, what are your thoughts on this? Well, any anytime you talk about Pac-12 networks and expanding their reach and all that stuff, the the lingering issue is is about Directv, right? It's a kind of no one the, the conversation can't move forward for a lot of people because those are probably Directv subscribers. So if you had, you know, if you if you had the a relationship with Directv and it was available to those people, then you would look at China in a completely different light. It would be how innovative the conference was, how what a great idea this is. But because they can't, because they still have this major problem at home, um, it's gonna, you're gonna have a, a hard time convincing people to get excited about you know you know international uh, television deals. I, I think everything the guy in the email said makes sense. Like it, it's 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 a good approach to try to you know create some revenue um, overseas. Uh, but at the same time, the reason people are gonna aren't gonna be able to accept that is because of the issues with the Pac-12 network or the with Directv. Yeah, I mean we're all for like positive revenue. This, but you know the the reality is Larry Scott made some big decisions, and you know getting women's field hockey on television is one of them. So having seven networks that all kind of suck instead of having one. That, you know, will it be as big as the SEC network? No, but you could have made one decent one that focuses on the sports that people care about. I mean, the, the Wilner article a few weeks back about, you know, the, the fact that he finally got some, uh, ratings numbers from Pac-12 networks that were zero, basically. So if it wasn't a football game, it was getting a zero, like nobody watching or a couple hundred people or something watching. So yes, you can say that it's on TV, but it's, is it really on TV if nobody's watching it? So I, I think, Yes, it's, it's nice. You want to get these revenue streams. There's a lot of people in China that, you know, want to watch basketball, but 
Uh, if you want to try, you know, where this conference is, is in the United States. You, you're competing against the other conferences here. The revenue deficit is huge. So yeah, go to China and make some more money to try to make that up. But you also have to do what you need to do for the main network. And I think combining into one, partnering with ESPN or Fox or whatever would be the best thing to do. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. These other models work. Um, and the, you know, the seven different networks to me just isn't working. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not totally convinced that they have like a grand plan that the the end result is going to be getting this on Directv. That the reason they're taking money from you know a Chinese deal is to you know take a loss on the Directv deal so they can get it on more TVs. I just I don't I don't I don't think that's the strategy here. I think it's probably just maximizing revenue for revenue's sake. And frankly, it doesn't do any. I don't think that's going to do any good for anybody here. So, all right. Do you want me to do Nick's rundown? Uh, we did. I, we did. I, we got an email from like someone that's like interviewing podcasters. Like, yeah, I don't think that's anything we need to. No, we don't meet. have to do that. That's interesting. I'll take a form email about meeting us for coffee in Stanford, which we don't. Uh, whatever. Well, anyway, once you start uh, covering Stanford, Dave, you'll be able to take that meeting. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what that was for. Um, all right, this is from Nick. Um, hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, aka Big Nick Twenty One USC from the P. Upset alert weekend. Washington State three versus Cal thirty eight. What a showcase game for Cal here. They took it WSU. Washington State shoot themselves in the foot with too many turnovers, and is it me but the higher-ranked team who travels on a Friday game with six days off guaranteed to lose? This sounds like a Larry Scott issue he may want to fix. Colorado 26 versus Oregon State 33. I didn't watch this game well because both teams are irrelevant, but it looks like Oregon State's coach, who mutually parted ways, didn't light enough of a fire under Oregon State's rear end. He didn't call him garbage this week, so that's something. Yeah. Uh, Utah 27 versus USC 28. Well, where to start? Utah played a good first half, but crappy second half had chances early to kill USC in the Coliseum. So USC now great come from behind win. I hope no one jumped off the ledge and watched the whole game. The second half, it looked like the USC of old pulling out a one-point win in the end was awesome. I will give Coach Whittingham props for going for two with 47, 42 seconds left to win. They had the right play called bad execution. If only Troy Williams looks up and throws the ball to Carrington, this might be a different outcome. By the way, USC should be number one in your power rankings. You've got your wish. <laughs> U of A 47 versus UCLA 30. K-Tate is a beast. Coach Richrod owes K-Tate a huge favor for saving his job and season. I see U of A going bowling this offseason. UCLA is UCLA. No defense and a great QB in Rosen. Does UCLA go bowling? No. <laughs> UW 7 versus ASU 13. I stayed up for this one. Close-fought game that went ASU's way. UW blew their only chance to make the playoffs, in my opinion. UW is average, in my opinion. Well-coached, but not as good as some make them out to believe. Make them out to be. That was a question. I think just make them out to be. Well-coached, but not as good as some make them out to be. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Agreed? Uh, yeah, I mean, they just need a quarterback, and they'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Somebody who's, somebody who's maybe top five instead of top ten. Um, Oregon 7 versus Stanford 49. This was an old-school Alabama ass-whooping. He put a, a asterisk, asterisk, but we're at the end of this podcast. No one's listening. Um, on Oregon by Stanford. Not much else to say that Stanford did what it did when they wanted to. Oregon, to me, is kind of like last year's Oregon's team. Overrated questions. <clears throat> One, name the best defense offense, and special teams units in the conference. Ooh. It's hard after this weekend. Like it Everything we thought we knew, we no longer know. <laughs> I think I'd still uh, go Utah special teams. Is that because of the ticker? I think that's fair punt. just because we don't know the answer, and so that seems legitimate. I think that's, that's right. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, what about offense? Who's the offense? Stanford might have the best offense in the conference. Oh, no, or does it just have the best player in the conference? Um, so all told, they're currently averaging seven and a half yards per play, which is fourth in the country. Wow. Okay. Should I should I pull some stats? We can really look at it. We could if you want. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm at, all right so who are the other contenders? Like Washington State. UCLA is oh, up Davis there. Will love this. So this, these are these are in conference play only stats. Okay. Okay. So yards per game. Who do you think averages the most? What's your guess? In conference play. Yards per game or play? Uh, we'll do yards per game first, and we'll see how different play is. The same team is first in play and game. So. Oh, it is Arizona. Oh. Arizona Ooh. is averaging 7.57 yards per play in the conference. And I, I guess it should be noted that they've only played three conference games. Stanford's played five conference games, and they're only a six hundredths of a yard behind in the yards per play. So it's, it's, they're right there. And they've done it over a couple more games. So Stanford and Arizona are the, are the two clear leaders in yards per play with UCLA coming in, uh, third with more than a full yard behind Stanford. Okay, so it's it's Stanford or Arizona. Take your pick. I'd, I'd probably go Stanford just because okay. they seem maybe a little bit more balanced. But yeah, that seems fine. Now I just want to run like the Nebraska offense from the early '90s with Khalil Tate at quarterback and Bryce Love at running back and just Ooh, wouldn't every that game be by magical? 50. I yeah. think that's the team to take on Bama. Actually, Ryan, going back that to our question, good, yeah. come back to that's what it is. It's Khalil Tate and Bryce Love in the same yeah. backfield running Nebraska's offense from 1994. Um, defensively, I don't think anyone is good. Um, Washington State might have had the best defense for a while, and then is USC up there? Is Utah up there? What are we talking Washington. about? I don't think anybody's good. Washington should be up there. I don't think Washington's numbers have been that good. Okay, so Dave, how do you want it? yards per play, yards per game? You know, it is it's it's going to be Washington. Yards. Yeah, g- give me give me give me both. Okay, so yards per play, Washington is the clear number one. Okay. They've allowed 3.52 yards per play. Washington State is second at 4.9, so a pretty big discrepancy between one and two. So I think Washington is the, the clear number one um, defensively. And again, these are conference-only numbers. Yards per game, same deal, 218 yards per game for Washington. Washington State is two at 330. So... I think we have our answer because those are pretty. Uh, that's a that's a significant difference between one and two. Okay. So my my issues identifying Washington's good defense is only going to reinforce the inferiority complex of the Washington fans. Like it's going to just be like they they hate us even more so now. You're looking out I for didn't them. Identify that right off the bat. Okay. Um, all right. So that's that's our answer. It wasn't clear, but there you go. Um, two. Will there be more head coaches on the hot seat who get the axe? I know most new Rich Rod and Todd Graham are on the hot seat, but is Jim Mora now on the hot seat? David Woods, especially if he doesn't go bowling this year. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's so. Uh, Rich Rod and Todd Graham, I don't even know how hot their seats are. I mean, it could heat up again if they start going on a losing streak, but for now they look seemingly safe. Mora, um, so there's a few issues at play here. First, he's got a huge buyout. Like, it's like $11 million if they tried to fire him this year, um, which is a lot of money for UCLA. They just put a bunch of money into that football facility. Um, there's certainly an element where the boosters could be tapped out a little bit on, uh, paying for a buyout. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying on here that I don't think they go much better than two and four, one and five down the stretch. Um, so I don't think they go bowling this year, but 
they could. I mean, there's there's still some winnable games on the schedule. I mean, uh, Ryan picked them to beat Oregon, and I mean, maybe they do. But uh, they could also beat ASU. They could also beat Cal. I mean, th- those are those are winnable games. And if they win all three of those and even lose to at USC, at Utah, and um, at Washington, um, they could still go bowling six and six, and that probably saves his job because I don't think there's going to be an appetite for firing a six and six head coach. Uh, but if it's four and eight, if it's three and nine, I mean, that's going to be a tough sell, um, cause that'll be two straight losing seasons. That'll be a really bad losing season in Josh Rosen's probably final year at UCLA. Um, yeah, it's going to be a tough sell. Um, I think a lot of boosters will be in revolt at that point. I think a lot of the fan base will be in revolt at that point. So it's just a little too early to say at this point, cause it's hard to see how the rest of the season's going to go. Yeah, I agree. Um, move on. We have one from Scott. He said, just another normal week in the Pac-12. Washington State face plants. UCLA gags versus Arizona. Creating a line in the sand game next week versus the Ducks. Oregon State finds a pulse. Arizona and ASU now have the best chance to beat SC in the South. Wrap your heads around that one for a couple, uh, wrap your heads around that one a couple of times. And Stanford might be the most complete team in the league, yet SC handled them week two, and Washington has a defense built to stop them. Good luck with your power rankings. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, speaking of Washington, their defense for the second year in a row is national championship caliber, but their offensive warts along with their field goal kickers. Yeah. They had, I think they used three kickers in that game showed up big time versus Arizona state. Their running game is clunky. And after Dante Pettis as their number one wide receiver, the other guys, um, would be best second string and more likely third on most top 10 teams. Jake is holding the ball way too long, waiting for them to get open, which isn't happening, forcing him to scramble. And improvise, which is not his game. He's only missing, uh, he's not only missing long throws, he's also starting to miss on short throws. And you can see him, uh, pressing and trying to do things he's not capable of. Uh, offensive coordinator Jonathan also reverted to his quote unquote random play call generator for much of the game. Uh, they're also down both starting cornerbacks and their best offensive lineman is likely out for the year. He actually is. Um, but fortunately they have a bye to turn, uh, to try and get things figured out. Now my question, uh, AD at Washington State, Bill Moose pulled a midnight train to Georgia, moved and bolted to, for Nebraska, literally in the darkness of night. Mike Riley looks like a dead man walking. So would Oregon State even consider bringing him back? Or if they offered, would he consider it? Thanks for the read and podcast of Champions Go Dogs, Scott in Washington. I don't see any scenario which Mike Riley is ever the head coach at Oregon State again. <laughs> I would be absolutely shocked if that, ha- if that happened. But I was also shocked that Bill Moose left in the middle of the night. And yeah. I was shocked that Mike Riley left the first time around. So, uh, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> well, and I, I think he was getting pretty close to dead man walking at Oregon State before he got the very weird job offer at Nebraska. I mean, I, it wasn't going to happen that season, but he was, uh, I think he was nearing the end of his run where they might have tried to push him off into retirement pretty quickly. Because Oregon State, yeah, it's, a, it's a somewhat of a joke of a program for a lot of people in the Pac-12, but they have ambitions. Like, there's a there's a booster base at Oregon State that really looks over in envy at Oregon and what they've been able to do, and they want that. And Riley was trending downward badly at the end in Corvallis. Um, so I, I, I don't know how much longer he would have lasted there the first time, and I don't think, I can't imagine there's any appetite for bringing him back to Corvallis at this point. The funny part is that 
like I agree with you, he was definitely trending downward. But in his last year at Oregon State, they still went five and seven, right? They won five games, just missed out on a bowl game. The previous two years, they did go to a bowl game. They went nine and four in 2012 and seven and six in 2013. So like, yeah, now you look at it and say, oh, that wouldn't be so bad when you have a team that, that you know, is not competitive at all. <laughs> That's true. Is, is struggling to win a game, is probably going to go winless in the conference. Like, if you look back and, and, and look and see what Mike Riley did while he was the head coach at Oregon State, yeah, the, they would take that right about now. I mean, this is a this is a guy who went to uh, and only missed out on a bowl game three or or was it? I think it was like three or four times in his last eight or nine years there. Yeah. So uh, I think they're they're starting to appreciate what he did a little bit more. But at the same time, you know, he, he's not coming back. Sometimes you gotta just do something new. Yeah. You just do. You That's just, true. Yeah, don't go back and date your ex girlfriend for the third time or whatever. Just move on. Um, we should do a show on that because they've got to go scheme advantage with their next guy. Like they've got. I mean, Gary Anderson was fine or whatever but he wasn't bringing some really innovative scheme to the conference he was bringing kind of solid football coaching you know we're going to be a sound defensive team and do just enough offensively in the whole deal but they need to do something outside of the box um and whether that's you know like what purdue just did with jeff brom like you want to do something like that you don't want to just hire you know insert pro-ish style coach here with you know, a good defensive background. I think you need to do something a little bit outside of the box and try to, you know, capitalize on having a little bit of a different brand um, than other teams in the Pac-12, whatever that is. Um, maybe it's maybe it's going triple option or whatever, but do something different and recruit to that and be something different that other teams have to prepare for every week. Yeah. Um, you want me to read this? I can do Zach's here. You want me to do Zach? Uh, I can do it or whatever. It's fine. Um, this is true or false. We, I know you got to go soon, Dave, so we'll probably have to finish this up quickly. Kyle probably has a life outside of the podcast of champions, I would assume. Well, but, I'm going to listen anyway, so we, <laughs> now I just don't have to listen. So I've dedicated the same amount of time this week by oh, being here as I would have anyway. So I, I guess, like I guess I'm more productive while I'm like driving otherwise, but yeah. All right. Uh, cool. Okay. So Zach wants to, he said, Hey, Ryan and Dave and Kyle, uh, let's play another round of true or false. UCLA still practices football during the week, not just uh, band reporters that serve as a link between the program and their most ardent fans. We have no evidence that they practice football <laughs> this past week. So you're going like, false. We, we have we have we have circumstantial evidence. We have some anecdotal evidence, but we don't have any um, you know eyewitness testimony as to the fact that they practice football. And the evidence from the game would indicate the contrary. So you finally gave up your hotel room overlooking the practice field is what you're saying? <laughs> That's So this is always something you can tell. When a coach is trending uh, in a not great direction at a school, they always do this where they start to focus on extraneous nonsense. Because um, this happened with New Eisel, this happened with Darrell, where they start getting obsessed with like media coverage and all these other things because that's like something they can still sort of control. Um when they stop being able to control things on the football field. Yeah. It's always interesting. I think it happens all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, they, yep. You kind of, you know, you're tighten your grip. Uh, what was it? What was it? Princess Leia that said uh, in Star Wars, the, like she was talking. Oh, man. The, do we have any you, you have the quote memorized. Just say it. You I know don't. It was something about the, the stronger your the grip, more, the more the systems. Mo- will... the, yeah. The more the, you, you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the, the more the star systems will slip through your fingers. Yeah. Something, something like that. that. So yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, but coaches do that all the time. They want to control, like, you know, yes, banning you from this practice is going to help us win games, which that's obviously not the case. He said, I'll give you a second chance on this one. Jim, J, uh, J, J, 
G-Y-M, not a typo, Mora, is actually just an overpaid gym teacher. Aren't all football coaches overpaid gym teachers? <laughs> like, are we really, I mean, I, I know they're, they've taken this place in our society, like they're Civil War generals, like, because we don't have that anymore, but they're just, I mean, they're, they're just coaches. They're just people with whistles who get paid a lot of money. I mean, isn't that just gym teaching? Am I, am I off on this? I mean, it's not like it's rocket science. It's not like you have to go to, you know, school for 12 years to coach football. It's, if you played, you have a, you know, and you know some people, you might have a decent chance of being a coach. And becoming the highest paid state employee. Yeah, yeah it's a great gig. <laughs> so you guys going, are you guys going with true on that one? I'm, I'm going false. I'm going to respect the coaching. You know. Coaches are gym teachers. So I think that's like by definition yeah. true. I think, just overpaid I think gym this teachers. is true. Okay. I think this is true. The notepad Mora writes in after a dumb UCLA penalty, drop pass, or blown play – is really just filled with sketches of super secret designs for a screen to make Spalding Field invisible. Uh, again, we have no evidence <laughs> to the contrary, so I got to go true here. All right. Uh, let's see. Ryan, uh, Coward is just blowing smoke about Chip Kelly, right? Um, so Colin Cowherd tweeted something about uh, there's interest at UCLA at Chip Kelly. Um, actually, I talked to him last night a little bit uh, about it. I mean, that's what he was hearing. But I think he felt there was concern about uh, the money. Um, I don't know, Dave, if you're hearing anything different or, or Kyle. But No, I, I think this sounds much more like agents uh, trying to get Chip Kelly's market value up than UCLA. Seriously, even entertaining the idea of firing more at this point of the season. I think by the end of the year, it might be a very different thing. But no, this I, I doubt very much this is something coming from UCLA's end. It sounds more like agent talk where they're trying to get somebody's name out there for... Um, all the positions that'll be opening, and also call me shocked to know that a team is interested in the guy who will be the most coveted <laughs> coach in the off season. So yes, like would it, if 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 the job is open, would they have interest in Chip Kelly? Well, they would be stupid not to. Yeah. And I think it's yeah, that's all you really need to say about it. I kind of thought he'd end up at Arizona State, but now it doesn't look like you know with that big win, you know, uh, it just seemed like fit wise he would work there better than some places. Why but. do you say that? It's like it's a big city, but it's not like L.A. And it's not like it's like the West Coast guy. I just felt in and, and you can get people into school. And it just seemed like it would be he could do really well. I don't know. Just in my mind, I just thought it would fit for him. Okay. But you can Florida's, disagree. Florida's Florida's my pick there. Florida. Oh, OK. Um, Stanford should be the favorite to win the conference. False. They don't. I, I don't know yet that they're the favorite to win the north. Um USC is the overwhelming favorite to win the South, so their odds to win the conference are probably better than any North team, even though I would probably take any single North team. Well, I don't know if I would take Stanford in the rematch, but I'd probably take Washington or Washington State over USC in the title game. But So you SC's wouldn't take Stanford in the rematch versus SC, but you want Stanford to be the top team in the power rankings, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I think it would be like a, a 50-50 type game. Um but I think Etsy is the like you pointed out. I mean, because they are such a heavy favorite in the South, kind of by default have to be the the team with the best chance to win to win it all. Because right. it still is a it's a three. Te- there's going to be you know, there's still three teams very much in the mix. Yeah, 
you know, in the north. And there is, I mean, there really is too in the south from a mathematical standpoint. But I, I still don't see Arizona and Arizona State sustaining their recent success over the rest of the season and being kind of be able to trade punches with SC the rest of the way. But I think Stanford's definitely got a shot in the north. And you know, I think after the USC game, I felt they were going to be good still. Maybe not for the same reasons, but they're they're playing. You know, they're playing good. You guys know they're playing good football now. So they're they they got a shot. Uh, but it's a really good race in the North. I don't know how good it'll be in the South. But they're, they're, you know, Arizona State could beat USC and everything could just go, you know, turn to, you know, just spinning crap. Uh, let's see. ESPN is trolling Washington with the start times at this point. Um, kinda. Kinda. Uh, <laughs> well, they have they a 1230 game. They have a, that 1230 game against UCLA two weeks from now, right? Isn't that what it's gonna yeah, be? Yeah, yeah. That's, they just got announced today, I think, so. Yeah, I mean, I'll, so. refra- I'll refrain from uh, from diving into <laughs> deep here, but, there. <laughs> but, uh, but I did watch the what I will what I will contribute to this part of the discussion is that I did watch Chris Peterson's press conference today on Monday, and he he said he was very happy that the game is at twelve thirty. Yeah, and he smiled a lot. <laughs> so pretty funny. Um, and then last one: the appropriate name for a play where a receiver drops a pass, gets an offensive pass interference, and nearly gets an unsportsmanlike. Is the full Mora? <laughs> so this happened in the game. Um, uh, neither of you probably watched it because it was on the Pac-12 network. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jordan Lasley um, in the first quarter uh, pushed off, so he got an offensive pass interference, then dropped the ball that hit him in the hands, and then got in the face of the DB um, and had to be pulled away, or else he probably would have gotten an unsportsmanlike penalty. So we can call that the full Mora. Okay. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen too often. So, you know, Lasley did it, and that's a singular moment. It was yeah. great. We had an ASU fan write in, Bobby. He said, Ryan and David, I just took David's suggestion and listened to the podcast at half speed. I cried from laughing uh, so hard. Well, thanks, yeah. Bob. I still haven't done this yet. So I, now, now we got to see what it, Kyle it, sounds like, too. It's legitimately great because I kind of talk slow sometimes regardless and then when you add in the half speed, I sound, like I said again, like bleary-eyed drunk. Like the kind of drunk you are at like four in the morning after spending all night drinking beer. Like just, hey, how's it going? It was great. I've, it. I've never listened to that, but I, I do on occasion listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah, you can still like, you still understand what people are saying and eh, get through it a little bit quicker i do 1.2 like in my car i'll turn it on my phone 1.2 and some people that are really fast already that it it almost becomes unless why i've I've, I'll have to try 1.5 i haven't boosted it up put that much power into this one you're a much faster talker than i am ryan i am Um, and so you sound on one and a half speed you sound really sped up like really really sped up i don't i sound a little bit faster than normal like a normal person talking um, but you sound you sound like a, a a mouse like squeaking your way through it. Cool. I think yeah, that's our last fun. one. I recommend it. I think it's our last one. Yeah. Well, good. we had so, uh, on my uh, on my comparison between you and a mouse. That's good. <laughs> well, we did. I think we had like a tweet or two. Let me let me check real quick. Oh um, seven Sun Devil. When I tweeted about okay, so I tweeted. Anyone have any idea what Jake Browning's record is in close games? And we had some responses. Doesn't matter. He has no arm strength from 07 Sun Devil. Um, we had, yeah, I don't know. Some people didn't really like that tweet, but I, I, 
<laughs> I can't see why not. We had some we had some positive ones. Uh, Robin tweeted us. I don't know. Washington has not won in Arizona since at, at Arizona State since 2001. Is that right? Is that true? Do you remember? Like I that? heard that same stat. I didn't okay. double check yeah. it, but I I did hear that as well. Um, and Klain wrote in. So halfway through the season, three one loss teams. How does the Pac-12 stack up for the college football playoff and in general against the rest of the Power Five? We we talked about that one, Klain. Um, and then uh, Big Easy two hundred six. Ryan, you really want a bunch of angry emails from my fellow Husky fans for the next podcast, don't you? But to answer your question, I think it's three and three off the top of my head. Lost to ASU twice and to Oregon. Beat Arizona, USC, and Utah. Um, Brown did Browning beat? No, Browning didn't beat USC. Did he? Or did he, no? I don't think he did. Right? No. no. Uh, so I don't, two years ago. Did they? Yeah. They didn't play, right? Oh no, they did. Okay, so I guess he beat them two years. They had ago. that okay. trick play. Remember, it was a real low scoring. Oh game. yeah, yeah. Okay, so he did. Okay, yes. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then we had a bunch of tweets about, like, like you mentioned in the beginning, Leach, uh, would he follow, uh, moves to, uh, so, Nebraska. So while we were rec- recording this, uh, Leach had a press conference and okay. he addressed that and he said he has no plans, um, no plans to leave, which is exactly what a sitting head coach would say in a press conference. So there's that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we, we were delayed a little bit recording because, uh, Kyle was waiting for Mike Leach to, to go to his press conference, but it was about 20 minutes in and he still hadn't showed up. And I figured I told Kyle it's because he doesn't have a boss anymore. He can just do whatever he wants. And he does have a boss now. John Johnson named the interim athletic director. He's oh. been there since 2004. Oh. He even has a placeholder name. He does have a placeholder name. <laughs> John Johnson. Nice. All right. Well, well, how do you think it went, Dave, with uh, Kyle in studio here? I think it was splendid. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it any way differently. Yeah. Well, we Kyle, we really appreciate you uh, spending your time coming in our little show. Uh, big time ESPN guy like yourself, just, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Right. No, thanks for having me. It was uh, I do get I, I know we joke around about this a lot out at USC, but I really do enjoy the the show and I, I listen almost every week. And it's certainly the best Pac-12 podcast out there. And it, is it the only one? It might be, but I, it's it's I without question the best. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's the best. But there were some. There was the the guy from. We killed them off. We killed them off. They might die. It's hard to like. It's hard to keep a podcast going, you know. And I think you. We've troll- done a great job, though. I can't think of a single off season where we stopped recording. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle trolled me at practice one day when I think Joey Kaufman was talking about doing a podcast and asking me for advice because I've been doing the USC one for ten years and. I told him the key thing is just keep doing it every week. You have to be consistent. You have to be consistent. And Kyle's like, you mean like the podcast? <laughs> it was like one of those lulls too, where you guys had just like taken, ah, we'll take three weeks off, <laughs> jump back into it later. Three weeks. That's nothing. That's consistency. We took, there was a, I think it wasn't this off season. I think this off season we were actually a little bit better, but the previous off season, we took like four months off. Yeah. Like four entire months. It's, it's not, it's not easy to do just us not being, you know, you know, Dave, you were out of, t- you know, you're out of town and everything. And it's, it's hard. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's dedication. People don't want to hear. I mean, obviously you're not complaining about, you know, what we're doing, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, it takes work to be able to do it. So it's cool that we got into a rhythm now. And then to have guys like Kyle come on is very cool. Well, I think when you have a big USC fan like Dave Woods, just care, just that makes that makes all the difference. A big big Buffs fan, USC fan, 
Stanford as well. He's got all his teams yeah. playing well right I'm now. I'm just I'm just really negative about UCLA. <laughs> you know, just such a crappy team. <laughs> the thing that that amazes me the most is like the bro people like me for some reason. Like they're not. I don't know what it is, but they're you know. They don't hate me. You mean because you're because you like cover the team objectively? They like (laughs) some some people like that. (laughs) Weird. We actually, Dave and I did. uh, We started our little like bromance or whatever. Like we did a video like about talking about recruiting. So like you, I think we sat down in like some park somewhere in like Westwood and just like talked about (laughs) like a nice time in a park. All right. Yeah, it was like talking about Elon Marshall. And all this stuff. And we just start, we talked about where we thought these guys were going to go, local guys. And uh-huh. I wasn't like every guy's going, you know, we just talked like it was. And I, I don't know, they, they seemed to like it. And then, then we came up with the idea to do this, like watching, uh, were we watching Miche, Mike Juarez? Is that who we were watching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he still there? What's his, what's up with him? Uh, he's still there. Um, he, he's not playing. Um, he, he had to take the year off his freshman year and then he's working himself back into shape. He came into spring ball a little bit out of shape and he's still working back into it. I don't know if he's going to ever live up to the five-star billing, but he's in school. He's, he's on the team. All right. Uh, I liked him when we covered him. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But that's how we kind of got yeah. going. But all right. So I guess we should let uh Kyle get out of here. I know Dave, you got stuff to do chasing your kids around or something. So, Oh yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's another episode of the podcast of champions week seven recap. Week 8 preview. We'll check out on all our picks. A lot of differences, so there could be some fun talk on Twitter. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. Tweet us at Pac-12Podcast. We do appreciate all the love and all the people listening and writing in and calling in. That's Kyle and Dave. I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.